Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 263. Today we have special guest Todd Wallace and lots of game development updates. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. hello everybody and welcome to the show Uh, push this button here uh let's see panel introductions tell you what uh chris once you take care of that i'm gonna take a nap i I don't have enough to do today put you on the spot already delegating Okay, now they're all shifting around too, so that should make it fun. I guess we'll start in the upper left corner. So a big welcome to Ron Delvo, who's visiting the Jetsons in the future, it looks like. Right. Hi, everybody. And there's me. We'll skip him. He's useless. Next up, we have Canadian retro thing, Ken Waters. Hello, eh? <laughs> and you've got some... Uh, Project updates and exit uh, updates and acquisitions to go through. Yes, when I in the show up, I don't know yet. <laughs> I picked up a few things on the way home from Coco Fest and at Coco Fest itself. I won't talk about the stuff I bought at Coco Fest. I'll just talk about the stuff I bought on the way home. Okay. So and then we have our streaming host Mark Bosley. Hi. And I'm going to skip our special special guest <laughs> until we get to his segment. And then we're, uh, I mentioned before, uh, Mark had mentioned the fact we're doing some game project updates. So uh, one of those people is John Strong. We are talking about a game that he did a seminar on at Coco Fest. So welcome, John. Welcome, everybody. Next up, we have the guy that was in charge of doing things at uh, Coco Fest for the first time ever, taking over from Tony Pedraz and some other people, Grant Leedy. Hello, everybody. Happy Memorial Day. I was going to ask, are you still sane after the whole Coco Fest thing or? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. <laughs> okay, just just checking. I thought you might be in rehab at this point. Yeah, hair didn't turn gray. He's chasing. <laughs> no, but I did lose some. <laughs> that was he a spends, great one. Thank you, Rick. He spends his time running around chasing clouds. <laughs> and next up, we have uh, Rick Yulin, who uh, was demonstrating his. It's Coco Nick is the official name. Uh, Coco IO because it's oh, wow. you have serial ports too, but. Okay. We'll talk about that post bid. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm actually, well, we've, we've got a little news segment there. I'll, I'll be mentioning there, so we'll bring you back in for that as well. Uh, next, we have on the road, Mr. Mark Overholzer, our resident Apple guy. Hey, I'm here. Good to be here. And apparently he's right between cell phone towers. At this <laughs> From Alderaan, yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Mr. Dave Six or Nine, Dave Veery, who's going to be giving us an update because one of his two games in development is actually officially in beta. So that'll be part of the game update as well. Welcome, Dave. Hey, guys. How are we all doing? Good, hey, he, good, he called good. you Mr. Dave 6309. <laughs> Well, is there any other chip? I mean, really? He upgraded you already. <laughs> Dave knows the power Mr. of six Mr. Dave downgraded himself for this show to a 6809. Oh. Either's good. Either they're good. both greater than 6502, as we heard in the song. So True. Uh, well, next mathematically, step- mathematically, the 6309 is not greater. Uh, yeah, but where it counts, it is. Uh, <laughs> Got to stir that pot, poke those bears. Okay, next up we have uh, Mr. R. Alan Murphy, who's actually working on a game himself. I don't know. I didn't even ask you. Do you have any updates on yours, or have you been kind of busy with real-life stuff? Uh, both. I do have updates, but not for today. We've already got enough show. Okay. So. You didn't want to extend it another Everybody. minute or two? <laughs> uh, next up we have our resident Aussie, uh, Nick Morantes, who's actually going to be doing two d- demos today. He's going to be doing his own uh, one for Jumping Joey, and then he's also going to demonstrate... Um, Glenn Hewlett's port of Robotron uh, from the arcade. So it's act- actual transcode. I tried running it a couple of weeks ago and actually it, it crashed in my, my VCC because my VCC is like wrapped up in wine on a Mac and blah, blah, blah. So it didn't run too smooth. Uh, so we've tested it earlier. And if Nick's awake enough to demo it, then uh, we'll show well, that too. Well, I, I don't know about a demo. I have got the joysticks uh, that are needed, but I can I can run it anyway. And... Yeah, just to show what it looks like and stuff. Yeah, and it's a, yeah. That, it, that one's actually been released already too, as as. Our does it work script. okay in Windows? It works in the emulator, yeah. Yeah. Okay, just not on an Apple, right? No, it works. It works on my MAME, uh, fine. I just yeah, I it works the both in MAME and VCC. Yeah. It works great on real hardware. And on real hardware, <laughs> of course. Nick, do you have a cold or something? You sound a little different. Hey, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's also, also like three o'clock in the morning there. Yeah, it's also three o'clock in the morning. So yeah, the occasional <laughs> yawn will come in. <laughs> or snore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that covers the, the regular panel we have on the show today. So next up is our special guest, Todd Wallace, who just completed a move, uh, just released a new game that we'll be getting into. He's got an update on another project. He's done quite a few of them, actually. Um, he's also known as Lord Dragon in our Discord server. So if you want to talk to him or ask him any questions, etc., you can do that on Discord as well. So, Todd, you've been doing a lot of stuff both in Nitrous 9 and in Disk Basic over the last while. We've covered some of it before. I'll just kind of briefly go through it. You tell me if I missed anything, because I probably did, because I did this in a hurry. Uh, you created the CJA font, the full IBM font that we're got in, pre-installed in Nitrous 9 now. And actually... Correct. The first 120 characters of that, I think you could probably load right into Disk Basic too. Ah, um, uh, yeah, I've used it in other projects, not OS9. So, cool. You also did the Chip Tunes player, which I think is the OPL3 player chip for the Mega Mini. Also correct. Yep, I support a couple other uh, hardware devices now too. But uh, yeah, 
So which which ones are you supporting now? Like the PSG, the yeah. So uh, PSG and the GMC, so uh, Game Master cartridge. Although those last two, like since I don't have the real hardware, like I'm not, I can't guarantee it'll work 100% with real hardware, but it worked fine in emulators. So okay, and I think it, I think you've actually had some feedback. Some people have tried it with the real hardware, and it, it appears to be working. So yeah, yeah. Actually, a couple of people um, helped me kind of troubleshoot a few things that I I missed. In terms of like playback speed, uh, like one person had a, a Gimme X, um, and I didn't account for like the turbo mode that that has. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I was able to kind of tweak that. And um, but yeah, I've got I've got to redo my WAV player for that as well because it's running hyper fast with that in triple speed. Um, you also did the DOS Dur utility, which I believe is for reading and writing actual MS DOS disks from the Cocoa. Is that correct? Uh, well, the DOS Dur is. Um, it works with like the normal OS9 file system. It just formats it like the same way that um, MS-DOS does, but it does include a few things that, you know, isn't built into OS9. Like it'll give the file size in bytes, uh, like actual decimal bytes. And, um, you know, and, and it will actually check the directory flag. So like you'll see next to the name, whether you know, it was a directory or not, so. Okay. But um, I did make another tool. Maybe what you're thinking of is I did a formatting tool uh, that lets you format a real MS DOS disk using the Coco. So. Okay. Yeah, that's I probably just merged the two together into one big project. <laughs> uh, what are we getting into a little bit more detail a little bit later in the interview? Is your weather reporting utility, which currently runs over DriveWire, I believe, to yeah, real time yep. weather reports, and uh, you've got some updates to that, so we won't spoil that until we get <laughs> to that, but. Uh, uh, currently, that requires DriveWire. Now we've got these, you know, multiple networking cards going, like Rick Euland, and we'll get into that in the news a bit too. Um, but it, I, I'm thinking, since we already got Ping and a few things working on there, um, it looks like that might actually work on real Cocoa with real hardware, not having any DriveWire at all in the future. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I'd like to support other like networking, uh, you know, tools. It's really, you know, because you know because it uses system calls. It's pretty uh, simple usually to to port it over so okay <clears throat> now that's what i just said as my very quick off the cut top of my head listed for nitrous nine have you you've probably done some other things i've missed here obviously i missed the one when i merged the two together is there anything else i've missed yeah well i, I also did a, a native irc uh, chat client which like for those who don't know what that is it's like the original social network of the internet uh, you would connect to like a, a server that was networked with other servers and it was like a purely text chat thing. You would join channels, and um, but I, I wrote a, a native one that runs on OS nine, and again it takes advantage of uh, DriveWire for the network connection. So there was that. Um, uh, obviously, it was this Clickomania the game uh, that I did. Um, well, that that's disk basic though. I've got a separate section. Oh oh oh! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> OS nine tools. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much. I think that's it. Yeah, I'm trying to get the Nitrous 9 stuff out of the way here so that, you know, people, you know, don't really fall asleep before we get <laughs> That's into fair. It. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that, that IRC chat client. That's another thing that would be wonderful to have with the real hardware cards. We can actually literally live chat with each other, you know, in a big mega room of us. So I'm looking forward yeah, to that. That was kind of like my idea was to kind of make the, the, the Coco kind of like useful in like the modern world where you could like be doing one thing in, in one window and then jump over to the chat and maybe, you know, say a few things and then jump back to whatever you're working on, so. Yeah, like ask a question and come back and try it. Mm -hmm. 
And then for disk basic, I just have two listed. I've probably missed a few there too. Uh, the first one is your sysinfo, which is kind of a report of the hardware. And now does that require Cocoa 3? Is it meant for Cocoa 3? Does it Cocoa um, 1 and 2 as well? Yeah. So at the moment, it's just Cocoa 3 only, but I am working on an update, like a version 2.0 that will add like Cocoa 1 and 2 support, you know, so that can you know detect your CPU or how much RAM you have, um, maybe a few other things too. Like so. which version of basic ROMs and bit extended ROMs? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because that, that one's very uh, well presented. I mean, we've had a few other ones, like, you know, Sockmaster's a little gimme detector and stuff, and there's been some others that kind of just give you a rough report, but you actually presented it very well. It looks like a, you know, professional program. Yeah. I, I unlike all the hack jobs I do. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a, a script uh, that a lot of uh, Linux people use called NeoFetch, and it, it does a similar thing. It just, it presents your system information, and it's just a very pretty way and I'm, I'm like oh that'd be great to have on the computer so yeah i think ron delville you actually really like that i think you've ran that a few times too haven't you it's that i'm sorry i said the sysinfo utility that yeah uh, absolutely did. yeah in fact i um i made a, t a utilities 10 pack um and it's included in there because it's a great way to find out what your system has it's a great thing wonderful thing you made Love it. Uh, Thank you does very it much. Does it detect the uh, version of Gimme as well? It does. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. And actually, and that's, another and... that's another thing I'd like to actually get into the this new version is to be able to detect the Gimme X because um, I know there's there's a way and I, I know OS nine does it. Um, yeah, if you want, off. I can send you the source for that. It's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then I can support all the, the Gimmies out there. Which actually brings me to my next question concerning sysinfo. Um, are you planning on also supporting like detecting third-party hardware, like some of these network cards or a multi-pack or? I definitely would like to. Absolutely. Um, some of them are a challenge to detect because like they're, you know, they look so similar to other things. Um, but I, I would like, definitely like to be able to detect like a Coco SDC, um, but also like sound hardware. Is there's a way to detect uh, the OPL chip in the Mega Mini MPI? So, um, but definitely, I would love to do that if I can pull it off. Yeah, I mean, there's some other stuff like the Orchestra 90. You can like quickly map in its ROM, and you can see it's an Orchestra 90. So oh, I, same I, with the speech sound that's pack. A good idea. And, yeah, so there's some other ideas there too. There's a is, lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, it's hard to keep up with all the hardware. Go ahead, Nick. Is that program on the Coco Archives? Sysinfo? Yes, it is. Yeah. No yeah. yeah, we, we had sure. it on the show. How long ago did you write that? It's almost a year now, isn't it? Oh, it's been a few years, I think. A few years? Um, yeah, I think it's probably been a couple. It was before I moved uh, the previous time, so. <laughs> I've moved too many. <laughs> <clears throat> Curtis, there would be some problems with the Orchestra 90 clones, though. You, you, we have a couple of those out in the community as well. Yeah, because it's basically just the hardware, not the software included, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then, of course, the Clickomania game, which we'll get into a bit more detail or shortly, uh, is another disk basic one. Um, is there any other disk basic stuff you've done besides sysinfo and Clickomania? Um, let's see. Um, I think there's probably one or two, but I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they're ones I've released or not, or um, that I'm just forgetting. But I, I have like a launcher that I did that uses the CGA font you mentioned. Um, but that's not really kind of in a state that it's like plug and play for anyone, but um, I'd like to do that at some point. 
but I have lots of just ideas as usual. Um, but I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. Yeah, because one, one thing I like about the, the output you produce so far is that you're operating system agnostic on it because basically you're releasing stuff for disk basic and you're releasing stuff for, for OS 9. So you're kind of covering both bases, whereas usually those are camps. You know, People pick one side or the other. Oh, yeah, I, I mix I'm, it a little bit. Like my game playing is mostly done on, on the disk basic side, but most of my development stuff's on the OS 9 side. Uh, Nick only uses uh, Nitrous 9 to look at his trash can and admire it from a distance. So, you know, there's there's a wide that, variety. Of... That's what you made it for, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good um, job. now that we've kind of covered just in, in very brief what, what stuff you've put out the last few years and you've been quite prolific at it, uh, we'll get kind of into the regular. So we're going to rewind the, the Wayback Machine here. So... First question, this is a standard one we ask pretty well all of our main interview guests, is what was the first computer you ever used and what was the first one you ever owned? So the first one I ever used technically would be <clears throat> the Timex uh, Sinclair 1000, I believe. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got allergies yeah. telling me that, so. Uh, yeah, the Timex Sinclair 1000, I remember my dad, um, I think it was some contest or something, he won or some promotional thing, but he came home one day with that little thing. And I was like, what is this? And, um, you know, hooked it up to the TV. And um, that's kind of when my parents knew that uh, I had an aptitude for computers as like my dad was trying to set it up, uh, but he, he, he couldn't figure it out. <clears throat> so he went to, to the store or something like that. And by the time he got home, like an hour later, I had it hooked up. I was like typing in basic programs and hooking up the cassette. And it was like, whoa, you did this and I'm like yeah <laughs> um but really I, I you know I didn't use that computer very much because uh you know it, it does have limitations we'll say and it was very shortly after that that we got uh the color computer three which is the original one sitting next to me here so um still have that one all these years later but the first one that I I owned that like I bought myself would have probably see I don't know if you count the ones that were kind of given to me through school and stuff like that. But um, as long as you owned it, like if it was yours. That oh, was oh okay. Um, I think it would probably be um, a 386 clone that I think a teacher at the school kind of donated to me because um, we had Max in the school um, and I had my Coco 3 at home. But like, you know, it was getting to be the era of you needed a bit more than the Coco 3 unless, you know, you were you know, sophisticated and had all like the cool accessories. Um, so I, I'd say a 386 clone. Okay. Now you had mentioned that you started with the, with the Timex, the Sinclair, which, mm -hmm. you know, 1K machine by standard black and white, refresh the whole screen every time you type a character type thing, mm -hmm. which would have been limiting. So I guess the first question for, related to that is what age were you when that came in that, that your parents figured out that you had an aptitude for computers? That's a good question. I'm going to say probably like nine. It's probably nine. Um, and then I, I think it was maybe, uh, I think it was maybe the springtime or something. And that following Christmas, you know, my parents talked to my grandparents and they're like, yeah, we, we you know, we really want to kind of um, give him better tools to explore. And they, they invested in the Coco 3. But I say, yeah, probably eight or nine. Okay. So my next question was actually on the Coco 3. Was that a decision that you helped make? from looking at computers is that something your dad did more on his own or and if so why did he pick that particular machine good question um i didn't have any input uh because i really didn't know much about computers at that point 
Um, so it was really like my dad's choice, but we did um, spend a lot of time at Radio Shack. That was like my favorite store growing up. Uh, my, my parents would have to drag me bodily from that store, <laughs> um, you know, just looking at all the transistors and resistors and all that stuff and just the, the electronics kits I used to get. Um, so, of course, you know, Radio Shack promoted their, their color computer stuff. So I assume that my dad saw it. Uh, in the store and uh, decided to go with, go with that. So. Yeah. Cause the, the fact that you guys came into it at the Coco three era, which had been like 86 or later type thing. I mean, like the Tandy 1000s already out by then. And there's some other ones too, that, you know, probably were a bit more mainstream. So I was kind of curious as to why you picked the Coco. Was it a cost thing? Cause obviously the Coco was cheaper than it. Yeah. 1, I think when my dad got the Coco three, it was, um, it was definitely like a sale item at that point. And, and they, you know, and after we got the computer, there were a lot of like games that he would just come home with one day because he happened to see they were on clearance. So we, we got into it kind of towards the end of the era. Um, it's like so 89, 90, somewhere around there type thing? or Probably. Uh, yeah, I don't really remember because, I mean, I was born in 78, so um, I can't do the math in my head right now. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so probably somewhere around around there but like pcs were like commonplace like i said candy 1000s or like all the other like pc clones um but it was definitely you know and especially it was you know shortly after that that uh i made friends with this this kid in school who had a pc and he would show me all the things you know it could do and as much as i loved my coco 3 i definitely felt some some uh you know pc envy um which actually just led to me wanting to develop some of the stuff I have to kind of prove that, Hey, the Coco three can do that stuff too. So. Yeah. So when you got the Coco three, since you got it later in its life, um, were you were your dad aware of like OS nine, which would give you power a bit more, you know, closer to a PC at that time, or did you guys, it was just strictly a games machine with a little basic program thrown in? Yeah, I definitely started as like a games machine. Um, my dad did buy OS nine, uh, had the big binder and everything, but I don't think he really knew what it was. I think it was just, he was at Radio Shack and it was a clearance item and probably the rep told him that, Oh yeah, no, this can, you know, open a whole new, you know, um, capability to the computer. And so he came home and he's like, yeah, yeah, this is for the computer. And, you know, those of you who haven't seen it, it's like a binder this thick. Um, Oh, do you have one? I thought yeah. you were reaching for Oh, like you, you could probably kill somebody with that thing if you, if you spunk them over the head. Um, I've got it open on a certain page at the moment because I'm actually doing some work. Oh my, it, look I mean, at that. <laughs> yep, so he came home it's with well, that. It's well worn. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what is this? Um, but uh, so, so he recognized it was valuable, let's put it that way. Um, although I don't think he quite understood. And, and as a kid, you know, I followed the install process to make the discs and um i was confused and yeah you know, I, was, I was pretty good at the coco by then but it, it definitely at least especially back then it was steep a learning curve steep learning curve it was a very mysterious thing uh, but very rewarding when i would you know get stuff working and uh you know i had no idea what to, I, mean, I didn't even know what a multitasking operating system was back then so um but yeah neither did microsoft <laughs> 
Okay. So I, I guess the question kind of like following that up a little bit then before I get onto some other prepared ones here is, did you stick with working with the Coco 3 just as kind of a hobby thing throughout? Or did you kind of like drop it for a while and then just get back into it recently? And if so, what was the prompting to get back into it? Yeah. I mean, I really, I wanted it to be like my main computer. In fact, I like, I had friends and family that were like, oh, you really should get a PC or something. But like, I was determined that the Coco 3 was good enough. I mean, I, I didn't know about like VED and some of the, like the professional text editors. So I actually like wrote my own in basic and I even like typed school papers up on it and sent it to the printer. And um, so I, I tried to take that as, as far as I could, but eventually, you know, um, my school had all Macs and my friends had PCs. So um, basically I, I, you know, I kind of had to, to to do that. And then, yeah, then the Coco kind of was just on a shelf for, for many years. Um, I kind of did high school. Um, we still use the Coco as like for gaming um, during high school. Um, but then when it went off to college, you know, it was just in storage. Um, and it was pretty much, I think, it, towards the end of college that I, I discovered that there was like a community online. Uh, I found like Sockmaster and his stuff and his demos and him like pushing the envelope. And I was like, wow, I, I had no idea that the Coco 3 was capable of this. See, I, I knew this machine, you know, was more powerful than people gave it credit for. And so I started to tinker uh, a bit with it. I, um, I bought some stuff secondhand that I found like Salvation Army. Um, so I'd say like 2000 is when I kind of, I pulled out of storage and started tinkering, but not super deep into it. Um, but it was around, it was set up, you know, in the corner. And I think it, when I really dive deep was um, maybe three or four years ago. Um, again, like I just, I discovered more community online and joined the discord and um, that just really just, you know, stokes my, my interest. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I was like, wow, this is the, not only can I, you know, have fun on my own, but I can actually participate with like an awesome community and see what they're doing. And um, then I really got serious about like, it becoming like a, you know, a passion, like a hobby. Okay. And one thing I'd mentioned before is like you were, you were operating system agnostic, uh, like you, you delve in both worlds, but you're also mm -hmm. very agnostic on just certain parts of the Cocoa. Like a lot of people concentrate, like say Nick does on games mm -hmm. or I do on operating systems and, you know, base nine or whatever, but you've done stuff with music. You've done a game with graphics. You've done, you know, utilities, you've done MS-DOS based utilities. You've gotten, you know, stuff for, you know, reading the hardware. So like you, you kind of cover the entire gamut. And is that just part of your wanting to explore the machine to its fullest? Or do you actually have that kind of an interest even on other platforms all the way across everything to do with computers? I definitely do. I mean, I, I mean, I just love computers in general. Um, I just, for, for me, it's like the, the center of my day, really. I use it for work play, music, um, you know, just content creation, everything. And it's, I guess it's always been that way, even since when I was a kid. Um, but specifically on the Coco 3 stuff, like, yeah, I, I'd say like a lot of my, the different um, range of things I've made has all just been like, you know, I, I guess once I started learning assembly language, because I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I, I took basic as far as I possibly could. I mean, I, I was trying to do very complicated things with basic and running up against limitations and, um, you know, and I knew what assembly language was, but it was like this, you know, mystical voodoo stuff that like was just beyond my capability. 
And I mean, I went to school and studied like uh, software engineering. And um, so I even knew, you know, how to program in C, but assembly was daunting. Um, but then I, you know, then I got like, I, I was using the C compiler um, in OS9 for a little while. And then uh, eventually I was using CMOC, which is like a, I don't know, it's like a, how would you define CMOC? It's like a C compiler, Mostly but... C, mostly compatible C and it's it's, it's cross-platform and it's okay. cross-operating systems too, so. Okay, yeah, so I was using that, but then I was, I was running up against another wall where it's like, I just needed more fine control over the hardware. And um, I, I definitely am a student of Simon, Simon <laughs> Trianson because he, I know he mentored, mentored a lot of people and he, he kind of like demystified uh, assembly language for me. And, you know, he, he's a good teacher and a good friend. And then when I started to really understand it, I'm like, wow, all the things that I wished I could do as a kid, um, I, could, I, I, I now have the tools to figure out how to do. And so like all of those th things that I dreamed about as a kid, I, I've just been determined to, to actually produce. So it's like music players and games. And uh, so, so really it's, to answer your question, um, it's just been about, um, like you said, taking, you know, pushing the machine to its full capabilities um, and just sort of, um, you know, a, a culmination of like the things I, I Wish my Coco 3 could do back in the day that only PC and Mac friends could do. Your Coco bucket list. Yes, I, that's very, exactly. That's I imagine you have a fairly large one. <laughs> I do. It's like a bottomless pit, to be honest. <laughs> we have a question from Mikey Furman in the uh, chat room here. Uh, it says, mm -hmm. what is your day job, if you want to reveal that? That's up to you. And if uh, computer based was the Coco an influence if your job is computer-based? Um, it definitely was an influence um, on my career as so it's why I chose uh, computer science as my major when I went to school. Um, and that, you know what I, I you know my career was as a software engineer and I did um, I did it like a, a lot of embedded system programming but I mean the Coco 3 really I mean I don't even know what my life would be like today had I not gotten this computer and really just taken to it uh, it absolutely was the, the spark that um i mean even though the timex sinclair computer was technically the first like it it, it was it didn't have the the um you know the uh the impact that the, the coco did that was like um, more stepping your toes in the pool and you, you took the dive. Yeah, it was, it was more like, like, wow, there's these things called computers and they can hook to your TV and do these things. So like sort of, it, it made me aware of what was out there and the Coco 3 was just like so cool. Um, and I, I'm actually not working at the moment because um, I, you know, some of you may know, but um, years ago I kind of hurt my neck. Um, so I, I've had some kind of health issues uh, that have been, you know, long-term things, but um but yeah, uh, definitely um, trying to uh, to get back out and do stuff. But um, but technically, my 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 profession is a software engineer. That's what was my okay. uh, specialty. Okay, and then back back to the fact that you're like you, that you're exploring every aspect of the Coco from sound to graphics to you know working with disk drives and et cetera. <clears throat> you know, kind of covering the entire hardware gamut. 
Is there a particular part of all of that that you have the most fun with, or is it pretty well all equal fun for you? Um, I would say the thing I have the most fun with is like um, low level stuff, like um, writing a floppy controller driver or uh, like uh, the, the chiptunes player was a lot of fun because I really had to, you know, pull up data sheets and stuff of the, uh, the different sound chips and like, you know, learn about the, the registers and, you know, how to set up these things uh, before you can even begin to send sound data to them. And um, I, I have a lot of fun just learning like the, the low level stuff. And, um, you know, I, it's, it doesn't have, <laughs> I know a lot of people are, you know, understandably, you know, like it's about the games because like it's such a uh, work reward thing. You get to see these, you know, pretty graphics you created and, and fun gameplay and stuff. But yeah, I'd say, I'd say just um, low level stuff. Um, yeah, I, I guess my favorite would be net, any, any network program in, uh, in OS 9. Is, has been a lot of fun with the weather thing, the IRC client. Um, it's just great to use the Cocoa to connect to the internet like you would a, a modern computer. Cool. So you're, you're more like the driver level style stuff. That's where yeah, your happy yeah, drive, place is. That's my happy place. Driver and, and network stuff in OS 9, you know, internet. So I, I guess we'll get into the, um, maybe before we get in the game, because this is more, mm -hmm. like you said, the stuff that you have fun with is uh, mm -hmm. getting into your uh, weather app. So you've you've kind of showed it off before and you mm -hmm. actually had little graphics of like a sun if it's sunny and a cloud if it's cloudy and that kind of yeah. thing. But you've actually been working on an updated version of it, um, I believe, since then. So what all are you adding to it and how is that project coming along? Well, so initially the first version was just a text only output. Basically it would, uh, you know, it was a text display, the temperature, the humidity. It would connect to the uh, internet. It's used, it uses a free web service to kind of pull, um, you know, the data and then sort it. Um, but I, really my, my real dream was to have like, like almost like an app you would get on your phone with the graphics and stuff like that. So um, pretty much um, the update is incorporating that, uh, but not just with the little icon for the sunny, but also like, a couple more icons and just color and just a bit, a more graphical layout essentially. So it's, it's basically like a graphical, um, uh, it's, it's I'm trying to think how to explain. Um, and you, you can still do text output as well. If there are flags, which you, I'll show you in a second. But um, so hey. I guess the big, the big update is the graphics output. Hey Todd, mm -hmm. do you remember back in the day um, when we had the star TTY, did you ever use that? Star TTY. Or do you know what that is? I don't think so. Okay, it's a service similar to what you're talking about. You could go to the site and on your, um, if you put up a communications program, you could run um, the weather and the news would come up on an old system in text, you know, and it'd have four quadrants that you could fill with data and just let no. it run. And it would have the time running too. It was pretty neat. Didn't last long, but that sounds awesome. Um, no, I've, I've never used it, but um, but that's yeah, that's kind of where I was going with this. Is kind of to have a a similar thing. This uses a service called um, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's wttr.in. Um, it's a free web service. A lot of people on Linux use it because um, they have like a web interface where 
if you know what curl is, it's just a quick uh, web request that you can make and it will put it in ASCII basically. It'll give you like an ANSI ASCII output um, with, with ANSI graphics of, uh, of the weather. Uh, but you know, I don't, you know, so it's, yeah, I basically took inspiration from, from those kind of things to do. And are, are you planning on getting fancy with some animations and stuff like some of the modern form ones does? Like the that actually would over be anything? cool. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of animations. I don't really know a lot about uh, animation. That's one of the areas of Coco hardware that I, I'm just now sort of starting to get into and figure out. Um, but it does, um, one of the things I, it will do is auto update. The other one, it was just like a one-time thing. You just use the command line and it would spit out your results. But this will do like a graphics display. And I think every, you know, and you could probably set it using a flag too, but like maybe every like 10 minutes, it'll just auto update and give you like a, the, the, or you could like push, push like the space bar or something like that to manually Force refresh. refresh yeah. Exactly. But, you know, animations would be really cool. But right now it's just, it's just icons and stuff. Now, is it, is it designed to be a full screen app or does it require a certain yeah. window type and size or? Nope. So if it's a full screen app, just, just for real estate reasons, I, you know, I, I didn't feel like I could put it in a, um, a window in the corner of the screen. I mean, I, I, if it was mostly text, I probably could, but no, it's a full screen, full screen graphics. Okay. Cause something, I think once, once these network cards are out and some of the driver stuff's done and, and people are actually getting to use them, you know, in addition to DriveWire, which is ready here. I, I think I might add something like that as an option for maybe the G shell Tandy menu, just to pull up a little weather app. You can fire up another window and then you know, I can just, you know, take a look at it. Yeah. Well. That, Crunching code. Awesome. I mean, you definitely could do um, text, like the text, the text command line would uh, version would work just fine for that. Um, but I don't see why I couldn't add like just a small little icon, you know, um, because you can even make it resizable like the clock and the calculator. So you could actually put it on the screen with a couple other things at the same time, kind of have your little dashboard huh. style thing of yeah I have it on boot up yeah you definitely do it on boot up too or run it from g shell or yeah there's a there's a quite a few options there so yeah we're just we're just feature creeping you here's what we're doing <laughs> no but the, that's all stuff that like i i really want to do um it's basically as soon as os9 boots up like it'll you know you know the time is this and here's the weather by the way um, and my, my ultimate dream is that, that you could basically just, you know, switch windows and you know, play a game in one window up oh, now jump over to, you know, some text document, on, you know, work, work on some source code up, oh, jump into IRC and chat with some people up, oh, go check the weather, you know, and just hop around like you would on a modern computer. So I, I got a screenshot uh, of TTY. If you want to see it, star TTY. Sure. Can you put it up real quick? Hey, uh, give me a sec. Gotta enable the share for you, Ron. Tell me when you're ready. Yeah, go ahead. Oh wow. Did it come up? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so um this is from 2010, 317, 2010. And um you can see the clock in the one corner, and then you, you could program uh sports or news or whatever in, in any of these other quadrants. And you just let it run on your desktop and it would be something to, you know, occasionally take a look at, but it, you know, you have things changing like the time and, and the date would change for the next day. If you leave it on long enough. That's awesome. Yeah. It yeah. reminds me of like the, 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 the welcome screen on AOL or something back in the day, you yeah. just get, you know, various categories of information. 
And that looks yeah. like you're just pulling it off of like a serial port on a modem or something there. Because right now, an ultimate term. You would go to startty.com and then that would come up. And the first screen you encounter is the setup screen for it. And then you just, uh, you know, you choose what you want for information. And then it just runs. It was really cool. That is really cool. Yeah, and, and with my weather app too, I, they actually have have it set up in a way where you can just make a text request and it'll just spit a plain text. So I could have just let it do all the work and just and I just print out the text output. Um, but I wanted to kind of parse the variables myself so that I could make a, a nicer formatted display, uh, kind of like like that Starkey DUI can do, um, and then later the graphic stuff. So. That that's awesome. See, I love, I'm a weather geek, so. Um, <laughs> and then speaking of feature creep here, does yeah. does that particular service that you're using to get the weather stuff to does that actually handle stuff like weather warnings, et cetera, as well? Um, I don't think so. That's a good. That's a really good question. I don't think so. Um, I think they're kind of like a an international weather company, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's like uh, um, integration between like uh, alert types of stuff. Because I know they pull their data from a lot of different sources, depending on like where you're located in the world. Um, you know, the U.S. has one source, like Europe has another source. Um, I don't think I've ever seen an alert though, so I don't think they do. But that actually would be really cool. Yeah, because I was figuring like when we get into our cocoa hobby, we tend to get so enraptured we don't even notice there's a tornado outside or something yeah. like that, or a hurricane. <laughs> right. So having it actually come up and beep at you like weather warning, you know, there's a hurricane or whatever type thing actually might be a pretty cool idea to add. The to cocoa, it, the cocoa could literally save your life. How about that? Yeah, yeah. How about a cocoa amber alert? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a few things. I mean, we have alarm calls for doing that kind of thing. You can just set an All immediate alarm for the next minute or something. I didn't even think of that. It's true. I just don't know if that that uh, particular service that you're using actually has weather alerts or, or some yeah. way to get them. I don't think it does. Uh, although th there may be another service that you know I'm not aware of that does. I have to have to look into that. It's a good idea. Yeah, like I said, we're just feature creeping the heck out of it here. So that's just our normal. Oh, no, that, that's, that's what I do all day. <laughs> I, I just sit here and I'm like, okay, I could do this. I could do that. Now, some of these uh, utilities you've done under Nitrous 9, they're, uh, because some people uh, you know, don't use Nitrous 9 or find it too complicated or whatever, are, do you have any plans on mo moving some of the programs you know, for, say, that, some of the networking stuff to run under Disk Basic as well so those people can join in the fun? I would like to do that. Uh, one of the things I've been kind of looking into, because I, I think there's even source code out there for, for uh, DriveWire access uh, through uh, BASIC. Um, so I haven't quite figured that out yet, but absolutely I'd like to do that. Like maybe write some kind of compatibility driver or something, um, you know, um, and that's the nice thing about uh, OS9 code is that it's uh, portable code. So like it's, I mean, as long I, I could set up the, you know, the registers in a, in a similar manner as OS9 and use most of the code. Um, and vice versa, I also would like to move some of my uh, this basic stuff to OS9, like Clickomania at some point, I'd like to actually port to OS9. Um, that was a little more complicated because the graphics modes that I use are different than the ones OS9 supports currently. So uh, there would have to be some restructuring, but um, I really would like to, because like, just like you said, I'm, I'm very much uh, uh, operating system agnostic. I, I, I love, you know, like it's like Sexter. It's so cool that you can play Sexter in Disk Basic, or you can jump to OS9 and play it there too. 
think that's and you can awesome. cheat more easily there too so oh really oh i did not <laughs> yeah know you can that. start on whatever level you like give yourself infinite lives it's a bunch of command line options oh there. cool <laughs> one good thing about sysinfo it gives you how much memory you have on your computer if you have a you know a few of them like i have and you you're able to run it you can tell which computer you're at by how much memory you have you know <laughs> and yeah, this um, is my 512k machine this is my two meg right. machine my 128 etc yeah. and it used to be that if you wanted to find out how much memory you had you if you went to os9 it'll tell you if you do a m3 or whatever true true cool yeah i mean you're talking about like making it portable i mean one nice thing about os9 the way the system calls work it's all just software interrupt twos and you just have a lookup table what byte is right after the software interrupt two instruction tells you what the thing is, so you just have to implement the routines, the actual API calls that you actually use, not the whole thing. Right. And you can just re-implement it in disk basic and run it exactly the same without even changing the code. Exactly, and I even thought it'd be, cool. I mean, I'm sure it would be more complicated than, than it sounds, but it would be cool to like make a compatibility layer of some kind where you could literally load an executable that normally would run under Nitrous 9 up in a disk basic layer of some kind and obviously it couldn't support all the calls that uh, nitrous nine can but you know it could do basic ones like input output stuff and that would just be cool because maybe you would let people that are a bit intimidated by nitrous nine you know run certain programs um under normal basic yeah because you wouldn't have to <clears throat> write all the low level stuff then you could just use calls <clears throat> but you've I, mentioned I, you really like writing low level stuff so maybe not. i do i do it's, <laughs> it's fun for me what can i say I kind of like it that uh, the fact that um, the SDC uh, commands uh, Nitrous 9, like, you know, it, it sets it up so I could run it, which is kind of cool. Because in the past, if you wanted OS 9, you'd have to put the disk in and load it. Oh, yeah, oh, make yeah, sure yeah. you have the right drivers for the right hardware yeah. and the drives you have, et cetera. It, so. In this case, you, you let um, basically it's disk basic, I guess, that runs SDC. What is it? both um yeah it's a patched version i think so. yeah yeah so, but basically that's what sets it up hp so you can use it yeah yeah and yeah. what's 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 even cooler is um you know with like uh the sdc explorer you don't even have to type dos i mean you literally can right. just have a, gra a graphical thing you just scroll through find your install and you hit enter and just bam boot it to os9 so it when definitely has made it easy when i first got the sdc i was thinking of a program like yours um sysinfo that would bring up that would come up first and identify your computer and then say you know your sdc is ready to use and then you can go into the you know graphical interface but um it takes time you know so it isn't it's probably better to just you know if you Make need to optional. find it yeah so are you at you a point you can actually kind of show us your your uh, weather program? Yeah, yeah. Um, so how does this all work? So just share screen, I guess? Or yeah, and then it should let do? you pick the window, like if you got VCC or MAME okay. or something running. You should be able to share that. fire this up here. As long as Mark's got sharing enabled. Uh, yes, it is. All right. Um, all right, can yeah, you see VCC? Okay, cool. So, yeah, so basically we'll jump into this. I think I have drive wire running. So, 
Oh, you're a bit behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah. This is there's certain like I have it customized a certain way with certain modules for like drive wire, and it's just it's just easy to kind of test stuff. Yeah, if you already got a stable one running, I understand. Exactly, exactly. So, all right. So I'll load this now. Of course, because you know Murphy gets you every time. Um, that service I was telling you about—that's free. Um, mm -hmm. It seems to be down at the moment. So um, what I did. Great. So for testing purposes, I, I actually have a, a flag in my source code where I can um, I can feed a set of like dummy variables, just like placeholders, just to kind of show you what it would okay. look like. Um, actually, just real quick, let me just see if they might happen to be back up. Um, that's that the joy of live demos. Yes, yes. I, yeah, I checked it out earlier and I'm like, are you kidding? Oh, it actually is up. All right. So if you can give me two seconds, I'll just build this source and I can do a proper demo. Sorry. There's also a new version of um, VCC just got released too. So we'll be covering that in the oh. news later. But okay. Oh, uh, now supports the high res mouse, uh, both Candy and Cocomax, uh, as amongst other things. There's a awesome. teaser for the news for you people. <laughs> Almost done. All right, refresh drive wire. I have a whole process here. By the way, uh, Fred Provence is actually working on the new control panel for the next uh, release of EOU. Uh, so this is great work. Can't wait to try out some of these things. So he's talking about, you know, the IRC chat and the weather and everything else. Too, oh, so. nice. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that's one of the things is I, I, I love to, I love when other people find stuff that I, I just make for fun, actually useful and they think it's cool. So, all right, here we go. This should hopefully work. All right. So by default, it'll do the graphical output. Um, if you wanted to do a text only, Output you just add the flag, uh, t, you know dash t, uh, but the it's you know pretty simple format. You just um, type in your city and state or like city, country or some kind of um, format. I think it's pretty flexible in terms of what you can do. So I'll use uh, where I live, Providence, Rhode Island. There we go. So it connects. It's pulling the data through DriveWire. It's loading the graphics from the disk, and there it is. Oh, wow. that looks nice. Those are my current conditions. Um, so 69 degrees, 81% humidity. So um, so you can see that icon Curtis mentioned, um, the overcast um, thing. So there's like, a, I, I think there's like 16 different icons that I found. And it, it took, it was a lot of work to kind of convert, um, to kind of uh, reduce the bit depth um, and just get it to look good with Coco. Uh, you know, graphic bitmap stuff, but uh, but I think it came out pretty good. And then I wanted to add some other icon of some kind, so I decided to do the wind. Um, so I actually have, you know, I think uh, whatever sixteen different icons for this too. So this will actually reflect the action. So you, I don't know if you can see the little red pointer, but that is south, just like the uh, the letter says. Um, and so it'll say north, or if it's, if it says north, you know, the the pointer will be on the top. And so this, this is a, a live icon and um, yeah. And actually what you were saying earlier, Curtis, about the animations, that just gave me an idea. It'd be cool that if, when this updates, you know, the weather vane kind of moves with, with the wind as the, as the actual 
value changes. But, uh, but yeah, because yeah, so I'm assuming you're actually just using get put buffers here, or are you actually drawing uh, a draw on the screen? No, no, I'm using get put buffers for, for the two icons. Um, yeah, so you just, you know, just, you know, change the buffer number to whatever the, if the wind changed slightly direction or whatever, you just overlay be it with cool. doing. Yeah, I, I, that's a good idea. And I, I wanted to add a little bit of flair to it. So I used a couple of different fonts. Um, this is like the standard uh, 40 column font. And this is another cool font I found for my name. And then just to fit stuff, I used like a, a, a six, uh, what a six pixel font with yep, thing. The for, narrower um, fonts. Yeah. yeah, the narrower fonts. Uh, the temperature actually is pretty cool though, because this obviously is not an actual font. So uh, this is also get put buffers. Um, I found uh, I found a bitmap kind of font of like a segmented display because I wanted to give it a kind of retro feel. Um, so I actually do this this retro um, kind of thing. So the big so, question for us connects, of course, is do you have support for Celsius? I was waiting for you to ask that. Actually, <laughs> I absolutely did. Um, now this service they do provide a lot of data um, already. Like they give you Fahrenheit, but alongside they give you Celsius. But I, I do parse all that data. So you have to add, you know, dash C for Celsius. Sorry, Curtis, but I live in the US. So Fahrenheit, you know, I, I get to choose the default and it's, it's gotta be Fahrenheit. So. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I can hack but, um, it. <laughs> so let's see, what should we do? Uh, what's, a, what's a Canada city? I do can, 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 uh, Canadian retro things. Let's see how accurate it is. So. Something easy to spell. Something easy to spell. Okay, so not Saskatchewan then. Toronto. Um, no. Toronto. Okay, I can do that. Toronto. Canada. Oh, oh, maybe it's not dash C. Um, oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. It's dash M for metric. My bad. My bad. Even no way on flags. So, hey Scott, can you put um, whether the temperature is trending up or down next to the temperature? I could do that actually. If, that would be as cool. It, as it does subsequent updates, it could compare the previous update with the yeah. current information. And figure that's out trends. A, yeah, that's another a little, great little arrow next to it. That's a great idea, Ron. That's this is going to be a fifty-six k program by the time we're done giving you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because. But, because if the, if the wind is going round and round, you need a picture of Grant Leedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his little car. But you can see the wind, you know, the little icon changed, yeah. um, but it's also overcast. But yeah, so you get Celsius. The pressure is also in like HPA, which is, you know, the metric version. Yeah, Rainfall Pascal. is in millimeters. So, um, and actually the, the pressure, um, uh, I know um, William Astill and uh, Deke and a couple of people on Discord really helped me because for whatever reason, the number, the the uh, the inches per, what do they call it? Inches per mercury or whatever. Um, the number they give is like a rounded number, which it's, you need precision for that number to mean anything. So they actually helped me come up with an algorithm to convert uh, from metric to uh, imperial for the pressure. So uh, big thanks to them for, for helping me do that. Um, but yeah, so this is, uh, so it looks like, and the text output, uh, just to show you still works, but, um, we'll do Austin. And I, I wanted to provide some feedback because there is a bit of a delay as it does the stuff. So people kind of know, um, what, what the program is doing, but, uh, 
Yeah, so that's the regular text output. So I mean, you could you could write a script or or whatever that just keeps doing this every so often. Um, you know, but I, I you know it'd be cool to build that into the program. But yeah, that's uh, that's my upcoming version. So Julio. Yeah, we got some uh, comments in here too. Uh, TJB Chris, of course, asks <clears throat> the next obvious question: Do you support Kelvin as well? So it makes it <laughs> majorly wow. hot. Yeah, that's which is um, basically just Celsius with an offset as far as temperature goes. So that's that's a valid question. You know, I definitely that wouldn't be too uh, hard. Yeah, I I, I, I want to embrace all of the measuring systems for sure. Mark Siegel, of course, of, of Tandy fame, uh, he says, have you ever considered interfacing a GPS to the OS? <laughs> <laughs> we'll need portable cocos before that becomes too useful. But I actually know um, a lot. The, the old standard for GPS, like communications with a computer, is what they call the NEMA standard, N-M-E-A. And I actually worked with that um, at like my previous job with embedded systems because I, I work for this place that I developed oceanographic equipment for like depth finders and fish finders, sonar, stuff like that. And they, you know, there was an interface for, for external GPS. so, you know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. You know, he's, you getting, awful, actually, he's getting awful you close to WeFax. Yeah, WeFax. Yeah. <laughs> you got some bleed um, over talking there. I, oh, okay. I actually have a couple of old uh, Garmin units that are RS-232. And so they very easily link up with the Coco. Yeah, yeah, and those communicate usually using uh, NMEA, the, the protocol, which is it's pretty straightforward. I, it's certainly doable. And I, I don't know if you know this, Ron, but I'm also a, a ham radio operator. Ah. So, I, so I, I know all about WeFax, and I would love to make an updated version with, like, taking advantage of Coco 3 graphics modes. And yeah, that awesome. would be awesome. Yeah. So, Ron, you found yeah. your kindred spirit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, has best friend. In it. he has my name in his name. I do. Wallace. Oh, oh that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. I am a Wallace. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there you go. That's uh, the web. That, that looks awesome. That actually looks a lot better. Like I'd seen a, an earlier prototype of your graphic one, and actually it looks a lot better now with all the different fonts. And yeah, I wanted, looks I wanted to I wanted to spruce it up a bit, and and probably the next thing I want to do because I some people might might ask, what about forecast? Can you get like a forecast so you know what it's going to do tomorrow or 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 the weekend? Um, and that's certainly possible. However, like you have to make a different request for for forecast data, and it's like it it, it there's a lot of it, and it literally takes drive wire, you know, like thirty seconds, maybe forty five seconds to receive all the data, and then it would all have to be parsed. So it would be a more intensive thing. Um, it's not hard per se. It's just, it's, it's, it's a different process. Well, that, that, um, that's one thing I'm wondering, like DriveWire is going through the bit banger uh, for most people anyway. I mean, some people have RCA2 packs, but some of these new network cards actually have their own you know, frame buffers and stuff built in the cards. So you can actually block read like a hard drive speed type be, wise. So that, that might be, solve that problem on, on the new cards. Absolutely. Um, that would be really cool. And uh, I mean, I have a thousand ideas of what you could do with like an ethernet um, adapter for the Coco 3, um, all kinds of, um, you know, services and things. Uh, I mean, you could, I always thought it'd be cool to do like a, a music streaming thing um, where obviously we wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough bandwidth to do like sampled audio, but for like my chips tunes player, those are basically simple uh, instructions to the sound chip. And there's, that's not beyond the realm of possibility to stream those chiptunes commands 
over the network live so everyone could be listening to the same thing. Um, so the what, you're, what you're saying is you're going to have uh, elevator music playing behind the weather report. <laughs> Certainly could. Hey, you know, OS9, just hit clear, just hit clear, and then, yep. then you know, you, you could be doing some music too. Your check's in the mail. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could uh, grab your weather, I mean, your general weather, and then as a background task, get the forecast. You know, see if they got data up on the screen almost immediately. Ah, uh, that's an interesting idea. So, okay. so we, and it could, there could be a message like, you know, like uh, retrieving forecast data. So, so you get to see, that's actually an excellent idea as to give the, the user something to look at. Yeah, it could be like a pop-up overlay window or just something main, you know, with a little, you know, uh, progress bar, you know, so people knows how long roughly it'll take. But I mean, yeah, you could, and there's no reason you couldn't, I couldn't load my IRC client in this window and I could be chatting in this window and then jump over here and check the weather. I just, that's just, you know, that's the theme I like is. Uh, making making the Coco Three not just fun and nostalgic, but actually useful in, in the modern era, yeah. in the modern world. So. You're almost mm -hmm. like Windows Eleven. <laughs> hey, let's be let's be fair. It's a lot more useful than Windows. 11. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't force updates on you either. True, uh, but yeah. So I don't know if you want me to show you anything else now, or if you want me to. Um, well, that might be a cool thing is to actually have every once in a while on um, Nitrous 09 have a window come up and says it's updating and freeze everything for you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, an, like an, up, an updated version of, uh, what's that that fun little thing of Windows? It pretends like it's booting Windows XP or something, or Windows yeah. 95. Exactly. 95, yeah, that, I actually showed it off at the fest there, because I wrote that oh, back in the 90s. That's people hilarious. Seen it. But yeah, see, this is my IRC client, so you could... Um, it's probably not too many people in Coco Chat right now. No, it's not. William Astor might be there if he's watching. He can pop in and say hi. But just in case no one's ever seen my uh, IRC client in action. Oh, there's some people. I don't know if they're active, but see, so you can be, you know, logged into IRC. You know, I can jump over here, and check the weather. Um, let's see, what's the weather in? Um, what's an interesting place? Uh, Boston. Yeah, we definitely have to get you down to Fest. This is the kind of type of stuff I think that would, you know, get more people interested in, in Nitrous Nine because I just really I mean, I, I really was. I, I mean, I'm definitely. I mean, I've always wanted to go, and uh, it's really it's time, and I, okay, it's to the point where I'll, I'm I'm like actually willing to save up and, and like really plan in advance because it would just be so rewarding just to like meet a lot of you guys in person but uh now another thought mm -hmm. looking at this because sometimes you're running this separately is to keep a little data file at a certain location or even in a data module uh which you start up so when you say you're working on stuff you want to see what it is and then you can pull from that data module to do your your change your trend Okay, so uh, you've done this multiple times, you get the Boston, so you could actually pull from past data even though the application stopped and say, okay, that was today, it was only so long ago, okay, I can use this trend data. And then I can, you could do your update on your trend information as well, even though the application hasn't been running all the time. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a thought. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's definitely flipping between windows. Blatant ad Coco IO has four sockets, so you could have four of these windows doing four different things at the same time. Yeah, you two have to link up here at some point. It's this awesome, like demos written yeah. for each other type thing. This is, this yeah, is we must talk. Yes. <laughs> can you, can, can you try Fountain Hills, Arizona? Fountain Hills, sure. Yeah, try it. Hold on. Just so people know, we're not going to do a ton of requests here and go through everybody's whole city. So, oh, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, what is it again? I'm sorry. Fountain Hills, Arizona. Arizona. Well, sneak in Ron here because you know they're they're both WeFax kids. So yeah, we're <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yay! Is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah. That, yep. That right. Yeah. On. My phone says that. Yep. Oh, uh, I see. A modern modern smartphone confirms yeah. it's a working program. Yep. So it's uh, hotter here than it is in Arizona. Look! Look at the humidity, everybody. Oh my God! Wow. You didn't notice that's, that? Huh? That's that's, that's brutal. Oof. I would I would just burst into flames, personally. <laughs> if oh my you God. breathe out of your mouth outside, you get chapped lips in five seconds. <laughs> oh my God, that's brutal. Yeah. Uh, Actually, that was... like your IRC chat client in particular, that is something that uh, I mean, I used it a bit back, you know, 15, 20 years ago when it was more common. Not too many people use IRC anymore, but. You might actually cause the resurgence of the cocoa IRC here. People could do it actually on their cocos, and not have to keep oh, yeah. jumping to another machine. Or you know, if they're hosting a, an emulator, they can actually run it. I mean, in real that time. was that was my like idea was like you know getting to because just like Discord is so awesome that to connect with like fellow you know cocoa enthusiasts. I thought it would be awesome to be able to talk with those people actually using your cocoa. And um, in real time, like your real hardware, your emulator or whatever. And um, yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, IRC is, is a great tool. Um, yeah, and it's a simple enough protocol that the code can handle it. And, and I really, exactly. And I, I, I went out of my way to like make this, this help section even just for people that don't really know how to use IRC. Because I've used IRC since the 90s. So it's like second nature to me. But I wanted to make sure people that found this interesting would have you know, a little bit of instructions on to like how to use this and do basic things like join a channel or uh, stuff like that. So yeah, I had that in mind. So uh, where, where do you live from? Uh, in Fountain Hills. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. There was someone else that was going to, I think, do one. Oh, no, we were just coming up with names that are hard to type. Oh, <laughs> I see. All right. Okay. I got you. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's just, you know, like I said, that's like the cool thing about um, OS9 is that you can just do so much at once. I mean, you could pull up Fexter, you know, um, and uh, that's it. Play some games, uh, check the weather, you know, chat on IRC. It's like a, just like a modern computer. Yeah. And if it gets a little bit choppy with certain apps that you want to run smooth, you can just go adjust the priorities on the fly and oh, yes, extra you have CPU time here. And I haven't quite learned here. how to do that yet. That actually, I, sh I really should learn that. There's so set, much. Set I, PR. That's all you got to know. Set PR and proc. That'll tell you. Oh, huh. I do know proc. That much I know. So, like, for example, yeah. if you want a Thexter to get more CPU time, just uh, whatever the process oh. number is for Thexter, just do a set PR space. Four comma one twenty nine to bump it up slightly, for example. 
No, uh, yeah, I have to, have to look into it. It's probably a help file for it, right? Um, ZPR? Z I, have, ZPR. I think I got it in there. Excuse me. Yeah, cool. So did you want me to show uh, Clickomania real quick? Because I know you had mentioned that. Yeah, that's that's actually the main focus because we're kind of doing game updates here. Now, oh, this is one okay. you just released. Um, mm -hmm. How long would you release this now? It's been a month maybe? Uh, yeah, something like that. I think it's been about a month, month and a half. Um, and this is your this is your first, I guess, really large size program for Disk Basic, and it's also the first game you've ever done. Correct. So and, I'm going to reset this right yeah. now. Okay. And it's also in uh, completely in ML. There's no Basic, I think, in it either. Nope, nope. It's 100 percent um, machine language and, and Basic. Uh, nope, no Basic um, at all. <laughs> well, I do use some basic calls but it doesn't actually use basic code it does use the rom for a few things like disk access i mean i do have a, my own disk driver and stuff but like that would make the program bigger and like i didn't i felt like i didn't shouldn't read didn't really need it yeah yeah because yeah, one thing to mention you actually do like save high scores to disk and stuff here too so. oh yeah yeah i do so here is click omania now, I know you've got multiple screens, like if you had F1 for info, there's screens kind of explaining like, you know, what, where the game came from and stuff. But rather than go through and have everybody read it live, we'll just uh, get mm -hmm. you to give us the Coles Notes version. Okay. Yeah. So basically, um, I mean, this, this opening screen is self-explanatory. Um, there's two modes for the mouse. Um, the traditional joystick polling um, is like the standard basic routines, but you don't have as precise control over the mouse pointer with that. And this, uh, the smooth mode is the software high res uh, technique that was developed by, you know, uh, three guys. Um, Nick and uh, Sockmaster. Yeah. yeah and Robert yeah. Gold, I think, helped too. Yeah. Really glad and, to see somebody else using it in the game. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just, um, you know, it, it gives you really precise control, even with uh, standard hardware, no special adapters necessary. And I thought if ever there was a game that could really take advantage of a nice smooth mouse pointer, it was a game like this. So um, yeah, so the game is sort of like reverse Tetris. So the goal is to eliminate all of the blocks, but you can only eliminate groupings. So if I try to click on this green thing, nothing will happen. Um, so any consecutive colors you can click and it will delete those. Um, there's a, a, a formula to calculate uh, score. Uh, the more blocks you eliminate in one click, um, uh, uh, the, you know, the more points you'll get for that one click versus just two next to each other. So, so that lets like the player um, decide if they want to go for like the highest score for their gameplay or if they're just going to focus on trying to clear uh, the board. But uh, here's the uh, top scores that Curtis mentioned. This is a, a file um, that's with the executable and it's, it's sorted and you know, the highest score uh, gets the top. And um, it gives you a block count of how many's left, but you can see the mouse point is pretty smooth. Now, can you see my actual real cursor? Yeah, we see both. Okay, so that's an interesting emulator thing. Um, uh, actually, uh, uh, once again, in the news here, the latest version of ECC released yeah. this week actually lets you shut the uh, oh, host one off. That's very cool, actually. That could come in handy because it's a little confusing. But you can see the mouse pointers. I mean, BCC does a good job at emulating the uh, software high-res um, stuff. But basically, when you eliminate a chunk, uh, the, the blocks above it will fall down. So kind of the challenge of the game is being strategic about which blocks you remove 
so that the ones that fall in its place are optimal to you know get rid of more. So like let's say I want um, I, I want these red to connect with these or something. I could maybe do this and see now now I can eliminate more with one click. Um, so you play until basically there's no moves left. The game will automatically let you know when that happens. Um, uh, which I'll show you in a moment. I'm just going to click whatever I <laughs> see first. Um, so like unlike Tetris, where you're trying to fill the board and eliminate this, you start out with a full board. Uh, there's been other games that have a similar uh, gameplay to this. So it's... And this one also, if I remember, it slides to the left. Yeah, I just saw, yeah, saw yeah, it there. So there you go, exactly. Once you, once you take out an entire column. And I got probably two more moves. That's it. So you get a little flash and you get red. It says you have no valid moves left. Um, but we did make the top 10 list. And this little pop-up window I'm pretty proud of because um, it actually captures the screen underneath it, just like a, any windowing environment, so that uh, when you type your name, it will restore the contents uh, back underneath. So uh, it just, it gives a bit of flair and personality to it. And um, so then it asks if you wanna play again. If you say no, um, it brings you back to the screen. Just if you kind of wanna look at the scores or just kind of analyze your, maybe what you did wrong or see what's left. And then if you wanna go back to the main screen, you just can hit a uh, break and ask if you wanna abort the game. Um, and that's, it's, it's pretty simple, but it's, it's challenging and um, it's fun. Yeah. And you've got some nice animations, like the falling ones and the ones that shift to the left when you. you yeah. Yeah. It, it does kind of have a bit of an animation. Um, I was hoping to do like a more sophisticated one where like maybe the blocks explode when you click them. Um, and, but, you know, I just basically draw the board uh, at, with every kind of drop of the blocks. But it does it does have a nice effect to it. Um, but that is uh, Clickomania. This is based on a, a game that I played a lot when I was in college. It was a Windows game um, by the same name, and uh, I just I took inspiration from that and thought it'd be really cool to for the Coco Three to have a, a version of that. So, so a question, a couple of questions for you actually on the development of this here. Um, so. What tools did you use to make it? You, I'm, I'm assuming you probably used like LWASM or something rather than you know emulating EdTasm. Yeah, yep. I, I definitely used um, LW tools, the uh, assembler, uh, Lost Wizard. Uh, it's 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 very versatile. It's just it runs on any platform, any operating system. So I definitely used that as the assembler. Um, and for the editor, I used Sublime Text. Um, and what's cool about Sublime Text is you can uh, import these uh, modules, I guess, for lack of a better word, that does syntax highlighting for all kinds of stuff. And one of them is, uh, you know, 6809 assembly language. So it just makes it convenient um, to kind of see visually the instructions are a different color than, the, you know, parameters. So I use that to, for the text editor and I use uh, LW tools, the, the assembler in that. And then uh, from, for testing, um, to copy you know, the executables to disk images, I use Toolshed. So I use like the, the command line Toolshed for, yeah, like uh, the ECB and um, for OS9 stuff, I use the OS9 uh, tool for that. 
So what, what was the experience like for you? Because, I mean, you've done, like you, you mentioned before, a lot of utilities and, and you know, applications type things, but this is your first game. Did you find the programming style had to change to accommodate a game thinking mentality? Or is it just basically more of the same? You're just doing different things? Or how, how did you find the experience? It was, um, it was harder in some ways because um, I, I kind of, you know, I, how do I put this? It's, a, it's more complicated than it could have been because if you'll notice uh, this, this blue block here, um, since they're all consecutive colors, it doesn't draw the white border, excuse me. Um, so in the actual drawing routine, I have to kind of account for that. So it kind of has to check above, below and left and right of each block to see if there's a similar color so that it'll skip you know, the, the border color for that. And I found that keeping track of all the pixels um, is, is I'm just keeping them all up in my head was, was a challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, um, like, I, I, let's, let's put it this way. I learned a lot about the graphic side of the Coco that I never would have had I not made this game. Like I learned uh, for the first time ever, I used the sync instruction which essentially will pause the CPU until the next vertical sync happens. Because you see this animation you mentioned, um, unless you're syncing to vSync, um, it can look really choppy. Um, and also like when you end the game and the, the border flashes, I mean, it's a nice even flash now, but before I, I was using the sync command, um, it would look stuttery. Um, so I, you know- Tear. Yeah, it would, yeah, it would look tearing or it would look like it would take too long one second and too short and get the next second. So um, it was definitely a different side of the cocoa that I, I had to explore, which was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to do the game. I mean, I, I look at sync. games. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say the sync command is also necessary for the original gimme chip to eliminate the sparklies if you change the let oh. and anything like that. So uh, it's very useful for games. Yeah. I also mentioned uh, John Strong is actually, I think, the first game developer that actually used Nick and, and Robert and, and Sockmaster's high-res mouse on the Bomb Squad game too, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, that's why I said I'm glad to see somebody else do it. It just, uh, actually, the reason the Bomb Squad game exists is because of the high-res joystick routine. I had done a uh, uh, Minesweeper just as a test, and since there was ones out there, I was never going to release it, but with the high-res joystick routine, I thought, you know, we need to promote this routine and uh, get people thinking about using it. And so I went back and revisited my Minesweeper and it became Bomb Squad. And uh, so it's there. That's and, awesome. And, yeah, so and then, of course, Eric Gavrilek has a patched ColorMax Deluxe. Uh, as well, so that it uses the high-res interface. We've got a few programs that are using it now, which is good. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame that it like didn't get made into like the stock ROM for, for BASIC because it's so much better for sampling the... Well, that, that would be uh, the sock master wasn't around at the time type thing because he's the one who figured out like this. I don't know how he comes up with this stuff. He just thinks so much outside the box. It's really uh, amazing. Oh. Nick, Nick Morandi's going to go into detail because he was the one working with sock to get the original routine working. Yeah, yeah I like it to was say you throw away the box. Go ahead, Nick first, then John. 
oh yeah, it was Sockmaster's idea. He mentioned it to me, and I said, oh, well, uh, why don't we do it? You know, he 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 had no plans to actually do it. It was a like a theory. A so I said, oh, well, okay, let's do it. Oh, well, I'll, I'll start the coding, and uh, you just answer my questions. So, <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's just cool it's 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 especially on real hardware you really notice the difference between like the, the stock joystick um you know method and the, the, the smooth high res it really feels more fluid you know um i think my like, biggest surprise the fact is that it works as well as it does in the emulators i would not have expected that i wonder i wonder like what they're doing because yeah like that's um i mean i don't understand the like the deep nitty-gritty of it but i know that it it it's like a voltage thing. It, it's it it measures voltage in a different way or something on the PIA and um, but yeah, it works. It works really well. In fact, it works better in VCC than it does in MAME, which is usually the other way around. But uh, yeah, yeah, it has to do with uh, the timing of the the bleeding off of capacitors. Uh, Nick yeah. would explain better. Yeah. yeah, that's how I think it works on a real cocoa. But I think the emulators because because the routine does a lot of averaging of all the different extra values that it's meant to collect off a real cocoa it's all the averaging software that um that Sockmaster has uh in there that seems to work with the emulators so they they're creating an average um probably not as accurate as having having it on a real cocoa where you do actually get more of the fine values in between you know the values of a, a normal joystick interface but it still works <laughs> still mm. i was surprised too yeah it's 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 pretty impressive um and uh it's, it's actually i mean you saw me playing here it's actually very comfortable i mean i, I especially if you'll be able to hide the uh stock mouse pointer that would be extremely comfortable experience to just play this game in an yeah that just got released a couple days ago so go grab that version yeah, I definitely, definitely will. But yeah, it was definitely an experience learning the graphics. I mean, that's an area of the cocoa that I, you know I always found awesome but intimidating. So I have a lot of respect for like Nick Morentes and all you other like real like hardcore gamer programmers because like I couldn't imagine keeping track of multiple pages and scrolling and all that stuff. Uh, but and I definitely would like to learn more. But it's uh, it was that's it was what fun. makes you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so do you have to be like Australian to be able to reach that level of? Uh, no, just the crazy program? level quotient. I think so. Uh, well, so. okay. We are always uh, upside down, so. <laughs> That's true. That's true. No, it's, but, it's uh, a really cool. It's a nice casual game. Uh, you know, like in a similar vein, a Bomb Squad, of course, that uh, we mentioned before from John, and some other ones that are we'll be talking about on some of the game updates too. Um, but it's it, it's nice to have. A game that look, looks and plays modern has you know some nice little you know flair on the on the visual presentation with overlay windows and stuff like that too, especially for a first project, a first game project ever done by you, and the first project yeah. you know game project in ML at the same time type thing. So it's uh, that's a really it, good first effort. It beats mine. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and you know I I you know it's funny, like I said, low level low level programming definitely is like the most fun for me. But I have to admit that ever since like the uh, sysinfo tool, I, I discovered I have a, a talent for like user interface and like presenting things in a in a in a 
intuitive but also good-looking way and I, I've actually started to really enjoy that part of, of developing software is, is just trying to find the best layout and make things look nice so I, I really I tried to, to do that with this game too. And that's a gene I'm completely missing um, as you can <laughs> as Nick can attest every time I ask well, questions. I, I always thought the same thing that I'm not definitely not an artist you know but um, it's you know. I also like the fact you have an active QR code on your splash screen here that actually works. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, again, I, it's all the kind of the same theme of, of me wanting to bring the cocoa into like the modern world. And, you know, that way people can just scan it. It's, it's, it's just an element of, of, uh, of modern stuff. It's just the ghost to show that the, the good old cocoa can, can still do, do the business, you know? So a question on the QR code here, is that something you generated on a PC and just imported the graphic or do you actually calculate the, the pixel dots and the, the three, you know, lineup squares no, and stuff like no. that? No, it's, it's just a bitmap that I, I used a free tool uh, website okay. to generate. Because I have I, experimented with 2D barcodes on the Coco because the algorithms for like code 128 or I25 are actually pretty simple. So generating one of those is pretty easy. I haven't I tried doing a QR code. I don't think it would be hard to actually do. Um, I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure it's a, a well-documented thing, especially because th these types of QR codes are, because um, there's different densities. Um, some of them can pack yeah. a lot of information. These are very simplistic. Um, so in fact, I, I thought someone had developed one. Um, I'm trying to make Matthew was working on something like that at one point, but I don't know. If yeah, I thought I saw like a screenshot of someone that, that now, I don't know if that was just a bitmap like mine, mm -hmm. or I thought, I thought they actually wrote code to generate it. Because that would be pretty cool because then people could use that routine in their own programs to spit whatever QR code they want yeah. and just place it on the screen. But um, but no, I just it was just a bitmap that I, although to, to get into the program is pretty cool because uh, it's a it's a feature of uh, LW Tools Assembler, is you can actually um, in your source code, like you would include uh, an assembly file, like a library, or whatever, you can include just a binary file. And I, I use that to include this bitmap file uh, um, in the executable itself. So just a cool little feature. Of, uh, it allows you to position it? Uh, no, it doesn't allow you to position. I mean, well, you can, wherever you put that include, it's include bin is the, the keyword. Wherever you put that in your source code is where the actual binary data will be put in your program itself. Um, to actually put it on the screen is a totally separate thing, though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's oh, cool. So I'm I'm glad you had a good experience with it, and uh, make it, like you discovered this similar to me that you know game design is a little bit different than just writing utilities. I actually find the utilities a lot easier. Like having to come up with a proper interface that's easy for uh, you know a game player to play versus you know a, a geek used to the command line exactly. type of things like that. That that's but a big jump for me. But that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it because I, I, I want to learn about all different types of aspects. So, um, but, you know, it was a lot of fun. I, it was one of those projects, it was, it was a lot of work, but it was just so rewarding. Like the first time I ever played the game, like, like it was a functional game. I sat there for, you know, five minutes just clicking. And I, when I finished, I was like, oh my God, I just played a game that I wrote myself from scratch. <laughs> that, that was a very rewarding feeling, so. So I guess that brings up like obviously you're working on on finishing up the the version two of your weather app. So are there any other projects that you're actively working on or started, uh, whether it's a game or or just basic or OS nine? 
I, I, you've mentioned you've got a huge bucket list, as, as do I or Nick or some other people too on the, yeah. on the panel. But is there any anything that you're actively working on that you think is going to be the next thing out of the shoot? Um, so definitely, like I mentioned, that uh, the SysInfo tool, I, I have been working on a version 2.0 of that that will bring support for the Cocoa 1 and 2, uh, at least for like the basic stuff like CPU detection, RAM detection, uh, ROM, you know, ROM version, um, and things like that. Uh, also, hopefully, detect GIMIX, but that, that's something I'm working on now that hopefully uh, will be finished soon. So, because um, I know I, I've had a lot of people ask, like, oh, will this run on a Cocoa 1 or 2? It'd be great to be able to, you know, to see for sure how much RAM is in there. Um, so that's one thing. Um, what else? Uh, the weather was, was the biggest project I've been working on lately. Uh, but I just have other ideas. Um, like I'd like to do, um, I'd like to do some more like DOS type utilities. Um, I'd like to expand my, my formatting tool to, for different types of floppy disk sizes, um, like the three and a half inch as well as the five and a quarter. Um, I'd like to do more um, DOS-like tools, I guess. Um, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not articulating that very good, but, um, yeah, I, I've got ideas. Um, okay. Well, I think to end the, the interview, and thank, thanks for coming on to, to get interviewed about all this stuff. <clears throat> have you, have you got any ideas about doing another game? You mentioned possibly porting Clickomania to Nitro's Nine as one, but, uh, like has, has the writing your first game scratched an itch that's now done for a while or is it kind of like what did your appetite like i'd like to try another game too i i definitely would i'd like to do a more like animated game like like a, a you know that that's focuses on motion um and i have a few ideas uh of that um and uh like some maybe like a shooting style game like a, like a space invaders like thing or something simple like a, nothing too crazy um but absolutely yeah. I'd, I'd love to to do that, um, and uh, you know, because um, one thing I think you'd be a bit uniquely qualified to do, because you've done you know drivers for some of your music players here for a variety of the sound chips that are available, mm -hmm. is to actually come up with a game that uses those, because we don't really have anything out there, especially that's you know like quote unquote universal that'll work on say a GMC and a PSG and the OPL three from the Mega Mini. So having something where you can actually do sound effects and maybe some background musical tracks that works on all the cards. I mean, Sheldon Hildebrand's kind of done that, I think with the PSG and the GMC on his Treasure Island defense game. But that's about mm -hmm. the only one I can think of that has actually really tried. I know John's working on some stuff too. But uh, yeah. I'd like to see like somebody that's really familiar with that part of the hardware scene uh, for doing music and stuff there actually kind of mix that with a, a game and see what you can do with it. Yeah, um, I really, in fact, initially I intended to have Clickomania have a soundtrack to it, like uh, some kind of chiptune thing, but I just had trouble like, you know, with the interrupts and the mouse and everything. It, it, I mean, it, I, I would like to do that at some point, but it, it ended up making it more complicated and I just wanted to have something finished. Yeah. Um, but absolutely. And, and I'd, I'd also like to do some work on writing a driver, like a proper OS9 driver to communicate with sound chips. Because right now I just have to talk directly to the hardware and there's like some pitfalls that come with, with that. Um, so that's another thing I'd like to, to do. Because yeah, I do, I do know a lot about, about it at this point.
Yeah, our Alan Murphy's also he's he's one of the few others I know that's actually tried to work with all the sound chips at the same time, and uh, I think he's planning on doing some stuff uh, in Nostromo, the game he's working on porting um, to use that in the future too. But he's just kind of learning as he goes, just just like yeah. you know. You uh, Curtis, the uh, yeah. the game master and the PSG are similar enough to definitely support in one game if you want to, you know, go the extra step for it. Yeah. Um, the the OPL. Uh, that's an illegal of that, yeah <laughs> uh, you get that the the idea that is distracted to a if you're doing no base stuff you can just uh, you know kind of put a layer in there and do it like in the MIDI notes and then have it that'll pay play those MIDI notes yeah that way you don't have to write like a custom you know drive that's very specific to the opl3 you can actually do something that you know is basically a three note with right. percussion or something you can actually make an abstraction yeah like and so yeah the the opl the opl is you know a lot more powerful uh a system and yeah. uh you know you start uh well if you're doing like me the, the rom games okay you start to run out of space okay how do you want to switch to a bigger rom size okay and the bank switching to to accommodate yeah. it all yeah 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 um, i mean i todd i don't know if you have them handy but i mean for those who haven't heard it you actually had some opl3 demo stuff that was like 16 voice and stuff too oh yeah um although i there's no support for in emulators at this point for opl stuff oh so right yeah be, you had to do that in real yeah part of that, right? which which i'd love to see by the way at some point if, if, <laughs> yeah any, uh, to the developers any, any emulator developer. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would be so cool to have and I mean, MAME support. should be pretty easy to add because it's got OPL3 support for other systems exactly. already built in. So that core code's there. You just got to link it in on the Cocoa the way the MPI does it. Make it exactly. But I mean, I, I can show um, uh, the other two sound devices, the GMC and the PSG. But um, that I don't have set up it with VCC. I'd have to pull up MAME. And, and no, <laughs> that's okay. We've, we've demoed it before, so we can refer people back to the, the previous link. But I just so thought it'd be added handy. But what is really cool about that new version and, and the new hardware is um, I discovered that what you can do is you can make a playlist, not just for like a number of songs for one chip, but you can, because it's it's certainly uh, feasible to have all three hardware devices present on a system. So you could have like a, a Mega Mini MPI, and then you could have a Coco PSG plugged into one slot and the GMC plugged into another slot. And you could make a playlist that has uh, music made for each one of those sound chips and the program will automatically detect like what the, the music file is and what hardware it needs and what slot you configured that device is in. So, I mean, it, it can play OPL music through that. And then the next song, it could play GMC music through the GMC, through the, you know, the Coco Cart uh, port uh, audio thing. And same thing with the PSG. So it, it, like you literally can have like this jukebox essentially where um, all of these different native hardware sound chips can be utilized. like, you know, And then, of course, if you want to go completely overboard, you write a really complex orchestral piece that uses all three simultaneously. Yes. Oh, wow. That would be, <laughs> that would be some crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Composing music is a whole other... <laughs> yeah. I got a comment from AC's 8-Bit Zone. We'll be covering some stuff he's done, too, in the gaming arena here, too, a little bit later on. Uh, he said, Clickomania looks really clean. It's hard to believe it was someone's first game program. Oh, wow. That, I appreciate that. That's, that means a lot. Um, 
it was it took a long time i mean it started with like a basic idea and it went through major rewrites but i learned a lot and i appreciate you saying that because uh i'm proud of it so okay well i don't have any more questions for you and you've got a lot of stuff kind of on the go and stuff just about to come out which I'm, looks really interesting I, I really like the weather weather app and with these new hardware network cards which means the cocoa can actually just get on complete without even having to hook up to a pc i'm looking forward to that as well because my office space doesn't really allow that very well yeah absolutely <laughs> like and I, thanks so much for like inviting me to come on it's so cool to be a, to be a guest on the show and and just be part of the community because everybody is just like real cool and smart and just you know very kind so um thanks i appreciate it yeah i i don't have any more questions myself so before we mm -hmm. go to a commercial break and then on to the uh the game updates uh, mm -hmm. i just wanted to ask the rest of the panel or anybody in the chat if they have any further questions for you before we let you go and you can stay on the whole show if you want and participate in, in the discussions of everything else sure. up, or if you have other stuff to do you feel free to leave yeah, uh, whenever you need it. to so anybody on the panel have any questions for todd just one quick one couldn't you mm -hmm. almost make this program into a tetris with everything already there uh i mean it's really purpose specific for this type of gameplay and stuff like that but i mean i certainly could use some of the techniques i learned in and doing this to, to make a tetris game but i feel like there's been plenty of really yeah. good tetris games already for yeah, the coco sure. 3 so but yeah, unless you came up with an innovation to Tetris to make it a little bit different, then maybe you might be able to do something. With like two right. squares coming down. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to... Well, actually, isn't someone doing like a Dr. Mario version for the Coco 3, I thought? We'll be getting into that pretty quickly here because that's John Strong's project. So oh, yep, you'll, you'll so, get an update on that. Because that's like a Tetris-like <laughs> thing. So that, that's cool. Okay. So it's, it's cool when the... new ideas. No, don't hit it yet, John. We're going to do that right after the commercial break when we get into the, the game <laughs> okay, stuff. So that's well, a teaser. Make a that's a teaser. on that question, okay, is the fact I have done a game very similar to Clickmania and it's Gems 2. And uh, we well, use a lot of the techniques in that. The uh, And I've done a Tetris the difference between those are, are a lot of difference okay on that so you're basically writing both almost all the game you have your graphic routines there but uh your algorithms to do everything would be pretty much completely different because i've done it <laughs> yeah, yeah. soviet block and, and gems and gems too yeah yeah yes definitely different but they they are what i call falling block games so there is similarities to help you to be able to build the next one. Okay, but there's major differences as well. True. Okay. So a couple more yeah. comments and then we'll go to a commercial break here because unless anybody else in the panel has any questions we talk about, I'll just uh, nail the comments mm -hmm. here. So Daddy Burrito said, it's so awesome. What else do you need? You got weather, games, IRC, music, life is great. <laughs> and then AC's 8-Bit Zone, that's Alan. And we'll be covering his uh, Coco DV game project here shortly. Uh, nice to meet you, Todd Wallace. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, you have to you. solve the block game to figure out what the weather's going to be. <laughs> Interesting. That's, that's your yeah. unlock thing to, to get the weather. Or instead of blocks, there are like little weather icons. You have to match the clouds yeah, together. Yeah, uncover the, the clouds. Together. <laughs> yeah, uncover the actual weather. And if you can't solve it, you actually don't know what the hell is going on outside. Yeah. Because most of us computer geeks actually don't ever actually go outside to check the real weather. So. Yeah, I did a demo video when I first came out with the 1.0 of the weather program. And I was like, you know, I was like, if you ever wonder what the weather is, and I'm like, 
I mean, sure, I could look out a window, but that's lame. Check it with your color computer instead. You know? so. <laughs> yeah, <right>. real world <laughs> stuff. That's lame. <laughs> yeah, you know, real world stuff. But, okay, um, any, any last questions uh, from the uh, panel? I don't see anything else showing up in the chat. So if the panel's done. All right. Going Thank once, you. going twice. Okay, thank you very much, Todd, for being on and, and showing us Cook'em and all the other cool projects you're doing. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there and you know, modern real world application stuff. So in the meantime, I, Mark, if you wanna do a commercial break, we'll come back with the uh, gaming update. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a tandy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present and future for all models the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant B, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style, Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S, Tony C, and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Keith. I'm Keith from Pittsburgh. Attended Coco Fest and several people recommended Discord. Interested in Coco 2 related retro things. Anne, Arcana. Hi, I'm Annie. I'm a Coco fan from way back. I used to be really active on the Bitserve. I started the flame war that lead to gloom. Been a retro collector off and on for years, especially Tandy and Vintage Mac stuff. John. Hello everyone, my name is John. I discovered the magic of the Tandy Color computer while a freshman in high school. Tucked away in the corner of the home economics class, of all places. Was two white color computer twos. We did not have a computer lab nor any type of technology class, but I wanted to know more about this device that said color right on the front. Scott. My name is Tyler. My interest in old computers started by collecting, old, computers from relatives. I was born in the year 2002 so Windows 98 was different from the Windows 10 I was used to but was similar to the Windows XP. I started computing at age 4 when I got my first hand-me-down computer. I have begun reading through the getting started with extended color basic manual that I found the PDF for online. I still have a very limited understanding of basic. But I enjoy making little programs, and the satisfaction of erasing the 200 lines of code after testing a concept I wanted to play with. Abub. What's up Coco people? Picked up, and have been upgrading, the first Coco I've owned since 1987, I think? My real name is Tom. I've got a lot of other retro computers, much to my wife's chagrin. I'm hoping I can get some help here in my pursuit of upgrades, most notably, 
finding a better video solution than RF while I wait for Coco VGAs to become available, and also with this Coco SDC which happily arrived today. The previous bios were edited for time's sake. Thanks to, Jim Rye. Boysontech. Paul Fiscarelli. Nightbeard. Glenside Color Computer Club. And the Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. At discord.cocatalk.live. And we're back. Yes. So now we're going to get on to the special game segment. Uh, just giving some updates from the uh, the gaming community on the Coco stuff that's either just getting released, just has been released, or is you know had some updates that are worthwhile talking about. So the first thing I want to ask, since we have a few people on the panel that will be doing this live rather than me just showing stuff, does anybody have a, a hard out? Like, is there a certain order we should do it in, or can I just wing it in the order I randomly wrote it down? Well, I do have a hard uh time to leave today so uh, okay could, so you want to go first then yeah that that would get it that way i wouldn't have to worry about it so okay and like i mentioned before we want to just do the update on the actual game itself um not going into details of how it's programmed and stuff that's that's for a different show on another day type thing plus we covered a lot of that at the fest here so john you've uh, we talked a little bit earlier you've actually were one of the first people to use the high-res software routine uh, our high-res joystick interface, you know, in software with your original Bomb Squad, which was what, 2018, I think, or 2017 or something like that? Yeah, it's been a couple of years now. So. <laughs> yeah, pre-pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, also one of the first ones that did uh, uh, games with the uh, Orchestra 90. 90. Yeah, Soviet Block and Gems yeah. too. Actually, yeah. actually, I pointed out on the show before too, and on my website. Yeah. So yeah. you've been working on this other project. Like I saw an earlier version of it pre-pandemic at Coco Fest when you just kind of got started on it. And you've got a couple game projects. We're not going to talk about the other ones today. We're going to concentrate on, on Dr. Coco, which of course is a clone of Dr. Mario, but you got a lot further on it around this time and you actually did a whole seminar on it. So yeah. if you want to show us what it looks like, especially for people that we haven't been able to watch the Fest coverage. Okay. Uh, you got to set it up so you can share. Oh, Mark? Go for, go for it. <laughs> And so we do screen should be first. Okay, I'm actually going to start it from my, my tool because this actually creates the ROM and, and imports the emulator. Yeah. A quick question uh, for you as you're firing it up here. Are, is this the same version that the people at the fest saw, or have you actually got a little bit further on it since? I really haven't worked on it since the uh, the fest. There've been other things I've been doing. Okay. okay. But and, I know a lot of people have not actually seen the fest coverage yet, so this will be brand new to some people. Okay. And so I, I need to get it tested out with the joysticks and things like that. Yeah, it, it plays very well, okay, with the, the keyboard uh, play. And uh, Neil Blanchard has been game testing it for me. And so we've, we've got some on-screen animation and and some trade-offs doing there, not quite the same background as Dr. Mario, just to keep the memory size down and 
and emanation speed up on the go-go. Yeah, because it should be mentioned, you're actually intending this for a cartridge. This isn't a disk-based game. Right. This, this is a cartridge, and I actually, uh, the goal is to keep it on that 16K uh, ROM, and uh, data size is actually much bigger than that right now, though it's fitting on that through various techniques. And the music is not done. That's the major thing. It's not done. And of course, you see we have a lot of the menu things done. And uh, so so we had a high number of viruses there on the screen. Now, one, th one thing you should probably talk about, John, um, I mean, at first glance, it looks similar to Tetris, obviously, though it's a little bit different. And it's based in an arcade game called Dr. Mario. Um, but the gameplay is a little bit different than Tetris. So maybe just do a quick explanation for those who have never played that before. Like, how does yeah, this you differ can, from It's Tetris? a match three in a row type thing that you, you do. Okay. And you get three in a row and they disappear. Okay. And this was kind of one of the ones that was on my Cocoa Bucket list since I've done the other games and stuff. The falling block. And so as you see, they can do that you can rotate it to disappear things and uh, and as it gets full I probably should have started out with a okay let's restart it with a lower number like of a more items. evil version of Tetris <laughs> <laughs> and uh I like the fact that it's not just like a pure game screen. So you've actually got some animated characters on the left that are just there for color, but you know, it kind of adds to the, well, the it, feel. it does, it, it does add to it. It, uh, most of the data is actually took, took up in the game with, with those added characters. Okay. There's the, uh, the dancing viruses over there. Dancers, I, I call them in my mind for reference are taking 11 K of data up alone in the game okay and uh so, so, so one of them is one of them called covid <laughs> no i i don't have one called covid i didn't quite <laughs> want to, to uh, fit who wants that to remember it. that mark come on <laughs> well it as, as well, i want to ask you a question here because uh, uh like obviously you're matching the different colors and you're kind of flipping your pill thing around but you've also got these faces now i'm assuming you have to get three stacked on top of a face to destroy the face as well or the virus that's your say is that how the game uh, you gotta have three you know stacked in any direction okay i can go horizontal there's not any here to to do the horizontal with so it's vertical horizontal matching so you match those and uh, so once you match those, they disappear. And uh, and then if anything drops down, so you can have a multiple levels, okay? So say if my extra pieces drop down and they make a match, you have to do that. Of course, I'm concentrating on talking about it rather than playing the game. Yeah, well, we're, we're all going to hit that. And you've, of course, you've got the next piece coming up there. Dr. Mary is holding it up and you actually animated him, you know, holding up the next pill to come down. So, Well, I wanted to get the most of the, the feel of the game without having to do everything matching, but some of those things added to it, you know, uh, the, the animation there and, and the dancers there. And those are in even from the first version of, of Dr. Mario. 
and uh, and any Nintendo game they they tend to do a lot of different versions of it. You start out with the basic, and then they they do that. The things past the original NES version start to add extra music levels and extra things, and then. Uh, and the Dr. Mario and the first versions, they didn't do this as they do in some games. They they start to add features. Sometimes they actually make the game easier. Like you can preview where the the uh, your pill is going. Okay, and so I didn't do that. So basic gameplay is based off the original NES version. And I do want to show you something else here that that I did to you know uniquely unique to it is I added a, a skill level in Dr. Mario. You just get the three different colors and skill level pandemic, and you don't see a whole lot here because well I need to get you so you see what's going on. So let's go to the options again. Let's up the bias level just a little bit to show. And so now you see you have uh, a lot more of the matchup, which makes it yeah, a lot of more different colors. So it's harder to get the right match. Yeah, so it makes it much harder. Okay. And actually, the first time you play it, <laughs> it really kind of freaks your mind out because you're not used to all, all that and getting it. So, and so uh, unique getting this to rotate and do this with the extra ones or with a bit of a pain on the neck, but it's, it's working. I'm getting a little thicker here on the emulator. I so far I haven't seen it on the real cocoa. I'm going to be testing that to see what I need to do to eliminate, you know, what thicker thicker they might be there. There's some some fine tuning left to do with it. Because yeah, it looks like the the main game is pretty close to being done right now. Like you mentioned, you've got to get some music done because you want to play it on the PSG and the uh, GNC. Um, and like well, the flicker, which is an emulator, but yes, yeah, it's going to run on ROM, so I'm just going to support the GMC because it's a ROM based unit, okay? So, and uh, so that, that really makes sense, you know, doing a disc based game, yeah, yeah, and then I'm going to look at supporting, you know, um, maybe the PSG and the Game Master, both the OM, the OPM, ah, the other system, okay, the Sound Master compatible one. Yeah. And so it's kind of what, what are you going to fit in there? What makes sense to, to fit with it? You know, what do you have to leave out to fit it in size and speed and, and development time? And the basic gameplay has been there for a long time. There was a major bug in it. And so I'd put it on the back and, and was working on another game. It seemed that the other game was not, was no way possible. It's going to be available for the fest. So I put it on hold and, and jump back here for Dr. Mario. Pretty close to having it. And all the gameplay and the major things are except music. And I, I pushed it pretty hard, but it just didn't make it for Coco Fest. And uh, did so the original it, Nintendo version have the extra two virus colors, the extra two characters? No. No. Okay. That's cool. So that's a, that's a, that's a unique thing to your to your game. Well, I always tried to put something unique in my my games, okay? Yeah. And uh, so uh, for Soviet Block, uh, the Tetris version, the, the graphics are a little bit more better looking than most of the, the others as far as the block shapes. 
and the orchestra 90 did that. Yeah, you got the panning stereo depending on where the blocks were moving. Right. And so that was kind of the unique key that was there that was different. So if I do a quote unquote poor clone, I tried to keep the original style play, gameplay there, but add something unique that you can add on to play with it. Okay. Um, I like yeah, whether, whether it's a technical thing like you know, doing panning stereo or adding some gameplay elements like adding the different colors, additional right. colors, I should say here. Yeah. You know, something different, you know, a yeah, little that's... bit extra. Uh, I hated the Popeye clone to the uh, color computer because they, they added that white ball that came in and did that. And, you know, I understand you want to make do something different, but it just kind of messed the gameplay up. So I, for me anyway, but not a criticism that his choice to make that and there so i try to keep a good gameplay without messing the gameplay up but doing the stuff uh there and so here it was adding the extra virus of play and because it didn't make the different levels okay and so um gems 2 which is similar to click mania the unique part of it is that you can actually do a full total step back through the whole whole gameplay since it's a puzzle. If you want to back up, you make it click on the wrong one. And of course, that was built before high-res joysticks. It was very easy to, to move just a little bit and switch to the next piece to click. And so you have a complete backup. You could go back to the first one and play the game over. Just you want to play back to one or two steps. Oh, I clicked the wrong one. That isn't what I meant. Oh. Uh, no, that didn't do what I want to do. You're not pre-visualizing the game well enough yet. You can back it up and play it back to where you're at at any point. And so that's kind of the unique part of it. So I always try to have something, if I can, unique to that game, okay? Especially games that some of them has been ported to the Coco already, okay? And so that's kind of the thing here. It's the extra colors, okay, with it. You know, the extra skill level of the pandemic is kind of really a epidemic. And, and it fit. I didn't know I was doing skill levels simple there. And I got, nah, you know, the time says with the pandemic stuff, let's, let's call the levels to that. You know, it's normal. It's pan epidemic. It's pandemic. It fits. Yeah. I was going to mention, yeah. I've got a couple of comments in the chat room here too. Rocky Hill says there's an amazing amount of attention to detail in this game. Um, Dave Veer is actually on the panel too here. So this uh, looks great, John. Your videos have been helpful for my game devs. So, well, and understand, you know, if people are asking questions, they're free to ask me. You know, uh, my, my email address is pretty easy to figure out. You know, at Hotmail, uh, I, I checked Facebook pretty recently because it, it does link the stuff. And, you know, yeah, we have to get you on our Discord is what we have to get you on. That's where a lot of discussion happens. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's just how much time they have to, to do that. And my, it's the, uh, you know, if somebody wants me there, we, we can get into it and do that. Uh, do I do my time developing or do I do it, you know, browsing? Yeah, and you've got hardware projects too, like you're doing 3D printing for cases for all kinds of Cocoa projects and a bunch of other things. Like this is, you're not just a game developer. You're doing a ton of stuff. So. Yeah, and there's so there's that. I'm trying to look how to uh, stop the share here a minute. And because there are some other things here, I want to, you know, this is my game pad I'm currently in. 
development of. Okay, the test prototype, some things, button tests really with this. Yeah, why don't you do a quick, quick run through on these here? I don't want to tie up the from Yeah, well, this is just very quick. Just say, you know, uh, I need the test joystick, so I go ahead and build the other things, you know. And so it, it's, you know, it's interconnected. You're a busy guy in the COVID community. Yeah, it's interconnected <laughs> to me. You know, it's interconnected. So if I play this, okay, well, these type of joysticks are not available. So, hey, let's make them available. So I have to build them. And yep. so, so that's the thing. So, and you're also a teacher in the community, like at, at the fest here that just happened two weeks ago. You had a seminar on development, including you know Dr. Mary itself and your, your tool set and everything else. So people should definitely go check that video if you're interested in game development. And as some of the people in chat have mentioned, you've done multiple ones of these in the past year. So there's a lot of information oh, yeah. to find out. A good, you know, a good basis of getting some questions directly for John. After you watch those videos, if you have any questions, definitely hit them up. Uh, I've done every one that they've invited me to do there uh, i've done a, a seminar uh so for a very long time uh process of of doing those okay and tools like ripping things from existing images and stuff i didn't get to cover that this time but uh, uh yeah so an hour goes by so quick i mean that's what i found in my seminar too i didn't cover half the stuff that i was that on my list either same reason. yeah and so you want to keep the short so i'm gonna kind of end it here but yeah reach out to me i'm very there, you know, you want to handle graphics, you want to convert it. I've got ways to do it possibly, it may be a big help. Okay, so reach out to me and we see what we can do to help you. And we'll have to get you on uh, sometime in the future to go through some, some of your hardware updates too. Like I know uh, Taylor was quite enamored with your Cocoa Pie 400 case. Yeah, it's. Hey, John. Yes. I was just going to tell you, one thing about Discord that's good is there's not a lot of distractions like Facebook. I find Facebook a real waste of time a lot of times. Got to get on there and well, get off. Well, basically, I, I pretty much do that on Facebook because, you know, I, I look for messages that's done for me and, and I check in a little, check anything real kind of quick. And so I really don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, uh, which is the reason why why it. Because, you know, if the message I mentioned, you know, I get an email. And uh, so if I want to get a post, you know, and so I can get emails on different posts that's going there and I can check from that email whether I want to log in or not with it. So it allows me to manage my time with it. So, but uh, yeah, I, I did bring that, you know, a picture up here of that. I don't have the actual 5400 yeah no taylor was showing off the show there's actually some photos of it on the glenside site there too so yeah there, there's stuff out there I try to keep enough you know social media to keep it out to the people know that i'm out there it's, it's available uh but not to spend a lot of time it's like okay which this community my best contribution to the community is doing <laughs> not to social yeah. media and so if you need help yeah, reach out. You know, Paul Thayer is supposed to be uh, contacting me. And I got to actually get him off away from the guitar and the computer along up to show him some of the stuff. <laughs> and oh, I got to leave and go play a guitar. And like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing but, is, we were trying to cram, what, three years worth of fest here into one here because it's the first time everybody got to come back, you know, in, since the pandemic started. So 
it's yeah. uh yeah i had yeah. the same problem there you know because I, I play guitar too and and you know, we're trying to do the nitrous nine stuff and people are asking questions too so i didn't even get a chance to attend a single seminar except my own at the show i had to watch them all after the fact because i had lots of people coming up and asking questions so well it's basically the kind of the way i am i did drop in the bruce moore's a little bit because uh he's agreed to try to help me with some music uh and uh so that's kind of the thing but we're here a community reach out to us and um yeah. you know the the exciting thing i you know, one thing i've been thinking i want to say is it got back to a point when i released gems too that you know i was the only one that i could say was developing for the cocoa at the time okay and that has majorly changed since then and as we'll find out during this segment that that's changed quite a bit the last few years it's actually been picking up development's getting bigger the Kyoko community's getting bigger the shows are getting bigger so i think we're we're in a, a bit of a boom right now which is good yeah you know i'm not the the sole game programmer left yeah you got Kyoko. lots of competition I'm, now yeah yeah and you know and, and nick has been kind of out there and everything but uh, you know he basically stopped development he's back so he was the you know the other one that's been the old time that was there, and then we got Rick Adams, and uh, Rick's always fun to yeah, Paul to, Thayer, and, uh, and well, we'll, we'll, we'll go through a whole list of them here because actually that's part of the update. Yeah, so yeah, so uh, I'm gonna let you move on to the next person. Okay. To, well, thank I'm you very much for coming it. by, John. And the game looks really good. I have to say, like the little you know the, the niceties of having a little animated characters, not necessary for the game, but it just makes it look more professional. It is a nice awesome. touch. It looks really awesome. Yeah, and this is the idea. It's to do some professional, and and if you can't do the level of detail, I do just do it anyway. Okay, but uh, it takes that's the that's ninety percent of the time. Sometimes is getting that professional look and feel to it, you know, and, and getting all those minor little things to it. So yeah, well, as me tackling two game projects for the first time since the eighties myself here, one with Jay and then one solo here. I, I, I've got a bigger appreciation for you and, and Nick and, and the other game developers here because that's it's harder than it looks, at least to me. And sometimes you have to do stuff to get it out of your head. You know, you know, Wordly didn't need another version of Cochlea, however you want to pronounce it, another version. And I may not do a version, but it got in my head, okay, like, okay, can it be done on ROM? Do you have to do access, this access for all of it? And and so, yeah, I came up with a way where you, you could get it all fit in the Cocoa yeah hey right. well thanks again for dropping by john thanks for the update i know you've got some other game projects which we're not going to get into here because uh i don't think you have any updates on them per se but you've shown them off best before so you've got multiple ones going on simultaneously just like paul does and then nick does half the time too so we'll look forward for another update sometime in the near future when you when you get back to the other games so okay thanks for coming by uh next up i think i'll jump over to uh, another one of our live guests here so we'll go over to mr dave hey there how are we doing not too bad. So you've you've got a couple of game projects on the go too, uh, but you've got one that's actually now entered beta, so it's 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 nearing completion at this point. Do so you want to talk a little bit about the game, what it is, and then uh, I don't know if you did you manage to get some screenshots on your, yeah, your tablet? Yeah, some screenshots, so we could uh, see if I'm able to share. Try and dig this up. Yeah, I've got a few uh, people trying out the game. Rocky Hill is trying it. Um, Ken Waters of Ken, Sloopy. Oh, let's see. 
so here's one of the screens. Um, this is your status and sort of update. Let's you know how far along you are getting till the till the end of this segment of the game. So I guess um, just just before you get into the details of stuff like this, broadly, how would you describe the game? Like what what genre is it, or what what is kind of what is the general gameplay? Well, it's a space adventure. Uh, yes, you're flying a spaceship, and you do get to shoot and blow things up. A um, little bit more complicated. There's some kind of strategy. You're going to have to really um, try and learn what to do. You know, you're kind of uh, a noob at this, right? You're, you're on your space mission. So you pick a crew and you're set off and uh, you discover new missions along the way. And you have to kind of discover ways to beat the bosses. It's not just shoot, shoot the boss, you know? So it's kind of like it got adventure simulation elements mixed with some arcade, like it's a, yeah. a very broad game. And the game will play differently depending on um, how you select your crew. There's quite a few. Um, I don't know. There's lots of people you can choose uh, from your crew. Here's a collage of some screenshots of the game. So there's different. I seem levels. to recognize some bases on there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I can't say no to cheap uh, labor. <laughs> I eat <That's> free. <laughs> well, there's awesome. a lot of anime girls in the game, and I've gotten a lot of um, a lot of people from the Kickstarter are in it for the anime, and they'll be able to choose the crew, you know, a full anime crew, and and play the game that way. Um, but there's some. Some people, uh, YouTubers, and uh, some guys from Coco Talk and stuff who volunteer to be on. Of course, you know, uh, we have our villain. Yep, he's quite proud of that, too. But honestly, he's not really the villain. He's probably like the only good guy in the game because we're a band of pirates. <laughs> and we're flying through space, looting, and basically stealing a lot of stuff from Aaron. And uh... so he has every right to be mad at us, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> so here's another screenshot. Uh, you can bring up your wingman. Uh, you can push a key on the keyboard, and your wingman will come in to join you for the fight. And sometimes they can be helpful, maybe sometimes not. See, I've been so buried, uh, you know, doing the, the touch-ups and the cleanups of the game. I'm not overly prepared for this. That's uh. okay. This is like more of a status update, just to people to know what it's in beta. But I, I know we've gotten a lot of newer viewers over the last couple of months. You probably haven't even seen some of the previous stuff that you've done or posted about the game. So I wanted to get them caught up as well, kind of cover everybody wants. Yeah, well, I, I started the game. I was working on the casino game. And I was also developing my assembly language skills. And I needed to learn some more. So I tried a simple space shooter. And I said, you know what? I'm going to keep this project really small and very simple. And it didn't take long. And it turned into a, a massive adventure. It's on like... Um, <laughs> Feature creep. Last, We've talked about that last before. Words. <laughs> it's using up 10 discs on the drive image 
and that's not the music. That's just like uh, game content and stuff. So it, it got pretty crazy. So I guess I guess one thing to, to, for people to know is like, what are, what are the system requirements for this game? Okay, right now it's running, um, it's set to run on a Windows computer and it automatically loads up the VCC with its own settings and its own um, extra sound module. I'm actually firing sound commands out the Becker port. So what that gives me is that gives me uh, WAV files, MP3s, uh, without using any code really in the Coco. So that's if you're so, running it through an emulator that has a Becker port. So, but you have plans for getting this running on real hardware with a hardware add-on too, correct? That's right. Right now, the the way the game is set up, it has the current version of VCC with the Becker and the Python. It's all wrapped into one. You just click on the file and the game will run. And it uses its own um, init file for the VCC. So it won't affect anything on your computer. So if you don't have a Coco 3 or you don't have the emulator set up, uh, you don't have all that, don't worry about it. Just click on the game and you'll be able to play it. Now, the cartridge I'm developing will allow this game to run on, on a uh, regular Coco 3. And that adds like graphics extra support and it adds sound extra support and... Yeah, the, the cartridge is pretty much all in one cartridge using the uh, ESP32 and SD card. So it will be similar to a Coco SDC. It will also have a built-in MP3 player and Wave. And it will also allow people to be able to make their own games from basic having this kind of high-speed graphics because the graphics, um, sprites, sprite collision can all be handled on the cart and just presented for your Coco. So okay. that that so the MP3 hardware on this cartridge will other programs separate from your game be able to leverage those hardware things? Yeah, or? the 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 cartridge I'm developing, um, it's going to be available for anyone to use, and the it's going to be open source, so people can write their own stuff. And I'm going to pre-compile a game package on it. So you could plug it in and you can use it like a Coco SDC by saving your games and you know saving your basic programs to it. But you'll also be able to load your sprites, images, Wi-Fi, uh, joysticks, different stuff. Anything the, the ESP32 can do, your Coco will now have access to. Oh, so, so it's kind of like a modern version of the GMC, like a cartridge just designed for universal gameplay, just to, just to expand gaming capabilities, kind of. Yeah, well, it goes way past the GMC. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, like a modern, more sophisticated thing. But, um, it's basically... Um, it's like a buffer between you know, the real world world in your Coco. Uh, but I'm going to write a program that's going to handle high-speed graphics and all kinds of stuff. So if you want to play an MP3, basically, uh, if your MP3 file is number five or whatever, you'll just poke five to whatever address, and that MP3 will be playing. 
Uh, yeah, that's similar to, that, to, to Bruce Moore's, which we'll get into in a bit here too, is Realm of that's Doom is cool. doing up, but it's just an MP3 player in his case. You're doing graphics acceleration, like you know, merging background graphics and you know, sprite tiles and all kinds of stuff in there. So, yeah, I'm going to be putting um, tile maps, I'm going to be putting um, automatic sprites and stuff. So, you'll be able to use it from basic, and you should be able to get faster graphics in with assembly language. And this won't load up any of your memory. So you'll just start with a simple inky string and you know, start to uh, say, oh, I want this background. So just poke whatever and you'll get your background. It'll automatically scroll for you. Um, I should have started it already, but I really needed to finish this game. Well, the game is kind of the proof of concept for the hardware to show what it's capable of doing, and then you would do the extensions to, to, to basic or you know the interface to basic, be able to call these from your own basic programs later. Yeah, it will. Um, you know, I was writing this game, and it, it the game actually I, I can run it on a Coco Three. I know I'm I'm accelerating the graphics and stuff, but I had to slow this down a lot. Um, you know, to run full speed on on VCC. This game is all programmed in Coco 3 in the assembly language and it can work on a Coco 3. Uh, right now, I just like, you know, I, I have so many people, friends, family, they, they just don't have Coco 3s. So I was thinking, why do I limit it? Why am I holding back the speed when I, I can just go full throttle and make the game, you know, the way I want to make it? Yeah, and then on the later on the real Coco Three, your your hardware add-on that you're doing will kind of make up that difference too. So you'll get the same higher speed. That's right. So it shouldn't so, be uh, much what? longer. Yeah, because you got you got multiple beta tests, including some of the panel here. So I mean, if, if Ken, if you want to like chip in or anybody else has been helping beta test it, what would your thoughts on the game are as well? So it requires a six through nine. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, programmed in 6309. That's the best processor, so. Obviously. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know if but, I could go back to 6809. I mean, it really is a, a good processor. It's one of the reasons I'm like reluctant to get into, <laughs> nice, it's a 6309 code is like I feel like there's no going back once I have all these extra registers I can use it's like 6809 will, will, will feel uh you know cramped I mean, that, that that picture of me in the game there that's about as pale as I am in real life too so <laughs> so, so Ken since you've been a beta tester and you're actually on the panel here what what are, what are your opinions like without giving too much of the gameplay away but I mean uh, except for basic stuff, obviously. But what, what's your opinion of the game so far? Um, the amount that I've played it so far, it is really fun. I mean, um, I had a, it's got a learning curve to it, definitely. Um, it's not a game that you're going to just pick up and immediately start beating it. So, you know, I figure somebody like Buck Owens, it should take him at least an afternoon to beat it. <laughs> <laughs> if he's having a slow day. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a thinking game. Um, yeah. You know, I really want the experience of, okay, you're in space. Uh, th there's some storyline to it, and there's a lot of levels I haven't shown. 
but really I want the, the game player to uh, be able to learn to and explore. be able to explore and uh, be able to hack. The game is going to be hackable. Um, I wrote the music for it, but you know, I left it that you can swap out those MP3s and put your own music. Um, I left some code that is hackable in the beginning if you want to hack the characters and put yourself in the game. Um, there's a big loading of the game and that's all done from basic. So choosing the pilots, uh, that kind of stuff. Because I have a lot of pilots you can choose from. And um, I don't load them all into the game. So you pick your crew, they get loaded into the, into the game. And then it's just that one machine language program from then on. There's no going back. Okay. The artwork now, is really cool. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I'm, I, I, was, I was just going to ask. Um, the artwork is really cool in this game. And I, you showed a screenshot a second ago. It said artwork by someone. Is that someone you like collaborated with um, for the artwork? Or is that just like you just got permission to use her, her stuff? Yeah, I, I, checked on, um, I checked on Google. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found some uh, different sites that were offering um, anime characters for visual novels. And wow. um, they're very generous. They're like, yes, you can use these uh, images. You know, just give me credit in the game. And that's, a lot of, lot of fun stuff you can find. Same for the sprites. Um, I really wanted to program the game. And I didn't want to spend my time like drawing sprites and drawing anime and trying to code the music. I mean, I, I wanted the game. I wanted it and I wanted it like now. <laughs> so I yeah, I, I converted the sprites to Coco and um, you know, the music, I just, you know, I, I quickly wrote some music and then I just stuck it in the uh, MP3. So Looks yeah, Rocky Hill's mentioning about the music. He said the music is really good. Please play the intro so it really sets the mood for the game. I don't know if you're capable of doing that on your tablet here or not, but uh... Uh, it's in it's in the YouTube videos. If you go on my YouTube channel, you'll see the um, the demos for it. I don't. Okay, what's what's the name of your YouTube channel for those that that don't know it? Oh, it's uh, Dave um, Dave and Sharon Veery. I think that's what it's called. Okay, so search for that on YouTube and you can find, uh, there's a bunch of little videos he's done on, on this and his other uh, game as well that's also in development. Yeah, when I'm done this one, I'm going to get back on the casino game. Uh, the casino game is pretty interesting and it's a lot of fun, um, but I got slowed down when it was time to do the emotions and interactions between all the people because it's a dating sim game as well. Like you can date the girls at the casino or, you know, you can just go have drinks with them, whatever. You play it the way you want. And when it came time to convert that into machine language, I was like, okay, what? <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of text, a lot of talking in, in this space part Kimiko game. Uh, there's probably about uh, 24K of text and different crew members speak differently and they'll give you different advice. Some don't even give you very good advice. Um, Curtis is, is a great technician. I don't know if he's the best pilot. You'll have to play the game and find out. 
if you ever watch me live stream and playing some Coco games, you'll you'll see that in real life. He pilots about as well as he uh, solders. Drives? <laughs> Was I drive? Solder. No. Uh, Coco, oh, God, uh, that bad. Your gaming skills are are top-notch, Curtis. I know. Bucko ones you're thinking of. But it, no, it is me. kind of funny how, you know, if you pick your crew, you might think, okay, this girl's really cute. I'm going to put her as my technician. And there's five different endings to the game so far. So if you play through the game and you get one ending and it's not good, you can try a different crew and go at it again and you might get a different ending. So I tried to make it um, that they're going to have hours of gameplay in this. Okay. Well, I think the last questions I have here, so you've got two versions of the game, basically. You've got one that's going to be emulator only with some acceleration and doing the MP3s and stuff, and that one is the one that's currently in beta. So are you, I don't know, like you don't have to give a firm date if you don't have one, but are you like fairly certain it'll be released the next you know, month, a couple months type thing by the end of the year, et cetera? And then the second part of that is the one that will run an actual Coco 3 with the hardware add-on. What, what's the situation on that as far as when you think that might be done by? Well, I've been really anxious to, to get working on my, uh, on my cartridge. I mean, there's no, no doubt about that. Um, and I got people like uh, Glenn Hewlett. Uh, he, he's anxious to get his hands on it too. And like I said, my goal on that one is, yes, I'm going to do the hardware um, and, and write a basic setup for it, but I will leave it open source because I know, I know the people in the community can do some some things way beyond what I can do with it. So I'm actually excited to see, you know, what's going to happen with that. Uh, so timeline, that's a good question. Um, back to work now. So that's eating up some time, but it shouldn't be long and I'll, I'll solder, solder up a board together. I have about 10 prototypes that I can build and um, I'll give it a try. As for requirements, my cartridge will work on a Coco 1, Coco 2, Coco 3. You know, it can be a stock machine. Um, you should be able to play games like Silent Hill on a, on a Coco 1. Um, with the, the amount of memory on the, on the SD card on the cartridge, uh, the sound capabilities, and the fast graphics shouldn't be much limit to what you can do cool well definitely when when the hardware is getting ready to be released we'll have to have you back on to kind of do a demo what the card's capable of on real hardware yeah maybe uh, i should have something working maybe by the end of july cool well i'll definitely invite you back on for that then and and Ken and you rest of you beta testers up and finish uh, testing this so that this can get released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to work a little bit more on the instruction manuals. Um, obviously, I know how it works. Um, I don't want to over frustrate people, but I do want them to have the 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 joy and the experience of like, oh, I discovered this. You know, I figured this out. Look what I can do now. You know that kind of uh, game experience yeah you want the exploration part not the like here's everything you get to do in the game in the manual type of thing yeah and the the navcom computer you, you can jump to different points and uh, some people found out if, if you just randomly jump in space it's really not going to turn out well 
and <laughs> or it might you, you might find um, you know a level that you, you didn't know existed so or it'll scare your cats boring. away <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, when you start palette shifting the coco 3 it can get pretty intense cool well th oh, thank you for the update uh, mr dave and uh, look forward to both the uh, the release of the game for the the emulator based system and then I'll, i'm especially looking forward to the hardware updates and see what, we, what can be done with that um, so that you can do it on real cocos so yeah, thank you for the update and fun. keep us posted on your other game your your casino game as well all right thanks a lot okay and next up because uh he's here in person he's actually doing a double demo we're gonna get nick morenti says this is also assuming he's still awake oh <laughs> yeah i am <laughs> So, Nick, I will leave it up to you as to what order you want to do these in, because there's two things. You're going to be demoing Robotron, well, the uh, Glenn uh, Hewlett. We'll do the, yeah, we'll do the Robotron one, because um, I've got that sort of set up in my okay. main. So this is something I attempted crash. to demonstrate a while ago, but my emulator is crashing like crazy. So, Nick, uh, we did a test of it earlier this week, and it actually runs fine. So those who have not seen it, uh, Glenn Hewlett has done a transcode of yet another game. From Williams that was originally based on the 609 chip, so it's actually emulating. It's not emulating the CPU; it's actually running the original code, basically. But he's emulating some of the the software or the hardware sprites and stuff. Uh, you know, some of the other parts of the hardware that are there, sound chips, etc. Now, Glenn basically had mentioned in his blog post, and I think I mentioned this last time we talked about it, is that he got kind of burned out doing Robotron, and he's basically he's he's done with it personally. And there's still some little bits missing, like some of the explosions aren't quite right, and there's uh, some sound samples that are missing and there's a few places where it gets really hectic in the game it slows down a little bit um i'm going to see if i can help with that a little bit probably in the next couple of weeks i'll be probably putting a request in this next week to get the copy of the source code which he's already offered to me i just said i was too busy with the best stuff and then now catching up on work and stuff after that but uh, nick will do a live demo of the game this game i like the arcade requires two joysticks simultaneously because you need one to move the man and then one to fire i think you usually have it mapped so it basically it's the same joystick gets mapped to both ports so you're firing always in the direction you're running whereas on the actual game you can actually separate those out and uh nick you can take it away when you're ready okay well well it won't be a live demo because i don't actually have the uh the the joysticks and everything hooked up i'll just share the robotron or mame screen um oh, should i say should i attempt okay is that coming across Okay, well, we'll get it loading because it does take a fair while to load. Now, yeah, so I'll just I'll just get it to play in the demo mode. But uh, this is um, um, Glenn's latest um, conversion from uh, uh, the Williams Williams games. He's he's done the uh, Defender. He's done the um, Joust. Um, the Joust. Well, he's done Pac Man as well, which is not Williams. Um, but yeah. Uh, Robotron is the last one, and all, of course the arcade machines are all 6809 based, and do share a lot of similarities with the Coco. So that's why it's been, uh, well, not easy, but easier, I guess, to uh, adapt to the Coco 3. Um, so this is Robotron, but uh, he says he's uh, got a few problems still with it. But it does run. So after the big long load, now it's decompressing. 
And that's booting now the ROM. So this is running the original Robotron code uh, pretty, pretty much as is in the arcade machine. And Glenn's, of course, modified sections so that it can talk to the Coco video hardware and the uh, sound hardware, the, the Coco sound and all that, so that the code doesn't know it's running on different hardware. Um, it thinks it's running on the real 6809 arcade machine. So this is a testament to how good the Coco is, that it can run those arcade quality games. And you can see it, you know, it looks quite good. It plays the uh, title screen quite well, uh, pretty well exactly the way uh, the, real, the real arcade game does. Now, the Robotron is like a lot of the Williams games, so especially, say, Defender, the uh, the author of these particular games, uh, what's his? Can you remember his name, uh, Curtis? Uh, oh God, I Jarvis, uh, Jar whatever it is. Eugene Jarvis. He, Gene Jar, yeah, that's right. He um, had some very fairly unique controls for the for his games. So, with Robotron in the arcade machine, it has two digital joysticks, self-centering. Um, and you can and you play the game with two joysticks. There's no fire button. One joystick moves your man. The other joystick fires. So the the um, advantage of, the, of that means that you can move your man in and and run away, say, from uh, these enemy robots in one direction, but firing behind you or in any direction for that matter, even though you're running away from from um, the, uh, the the enemy, say. So, yeah, you, you play the game with two self-centering joysticks. And that does make it a bit hard trying to uh, do the same thing on the Coco, I think. I think this works with two of our... Well, you could, I guess, on the Coco, set up two of the Black Beauties or whatever. Does he support the digital joysticks? He probably does. I haven't got two joysticks actually tested on. I don't know if he directly but, supports them or if they just have to be, you know, plug compatible. Yeah. And the, the thing is though, that they're, they're not, um, um, the, the, the joysticks don't, aren't fixed to the, to the bench though, because yeah, normally when you use a joystick, you'll have one hand holding the joystick stable with the other hand pressing the buttons. Well, in this case, you've got a hand on each joystick so yeah, pretty well have to tape them down to a table you pretty well have to tape the joysticks down because that's how the arcade has it it has two joysticks mounted on the panel and i remember back in the 80s playing this game and uh, i was it was on my way to college and I, it was just before college i'd you know, catch the bus to go to college and i'd stop by the arcade to play robotron and i played it really well and you know i would spend uh, I, 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 almost an hour playing one game, and I, I got a fair way in. But by the end of it, I was sweating like a pig. First thing <laughs> in the morning, fresh. You've had a shower before you come. You, you 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 leave to go to college. But by the time I actually leave the arcade to go to college, I am sweating and stink and everything. And it's because of Rover. It's that intense a game. So. Um, it's good to see this game playing on a Coco, um, but yeah, until I can, until uh, until you have the, the the joystick set up the way the game was 
uh, it was meant to be played. It may not be quite as uh, comfortable a game. But anyway, as you can see, the the intro screens, the title screens, they all work fine. I'll pretend to put a arcade uh, a, a credit into the machine, and I'll just let it run. Uh, I'm trying to try play it with the keyboard, which I yeah, good luck. So this will be a laughing uh, thing. But you'll hear the sound. Now, the sound is probably going to come out full bore. So I don't know if we can adjust the sound. I don't know how to adjust the sound in MAME. Yeah, Mark, uh, is that something where you can control the output from Nick's shared screen? It's going to blow your ears out. So, yeah, if you can get ready uh, to uh, I'm either. Not sure. Well, I'm uh, on a, Okay, I'm well, just a word of warning to everybody then. Maybe turn your speakers or your headphones down. Turn your speakers it tends down to play because, uh, really loud. last time we tested it, yeah, it, it blasts. Okay, it's cool. I, but, I could do it on for the output, but uh, not for your, for the panel. All right. Well, I'll start it and we'll see what happens. But it's it's really good. I think you forgot now. to share sound, Nick. Yeah, probably. That's <laughs> probably good, eh? Uh, does that mean I have to stop this thing? Yeah, stop sharing and reshare with the sound yeah. enabled. No that sound was anticlimactic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Live demos are fun. Not. Oh, will there will there also be live video so we could see when you start to sweat? I don't have a volume control on Zoom, but I think I, I think I muted him. So Nick, can you manually mute yourself? Shares live, but you are muted. Oops. What happened to him? Oh, he's still on the call, I think. It's just, I think yeah, he just there. has to unmute himself. His share was. Okay, he... I'm back. There. Okay. There he is. Okay, press it. Pressing a million buttons on the keyboard, trying to make sense out of the game. And of course, I'm, yeah, exactly just like what Patrick's showing. So uh, um, anyway, I don't think I'll bother with uh, showing any more of it because... Yeah, we got really... the idea. We can hear the sound effects. We got to see the game running. Yeah, And, and this right. is a it's... testament, like you said, a testament of the Coco 3 that we've actually got the equivalent of like what very, very early version of MAME, like the, you know, 0.2 when they were doing Pac-Man and stuff. The fact that we've got transcodes now of Donkey Kong Donkey Kong Remix, which is kind of an original one, Pac-Man, Defender, Joust, and now Robotron that are literally playing the arcade code. That's a I, I can't think of another 8-bit system that's that's capable of doing that. We've got you know others like C64 can do fairly close clones, but they're not running transcodes. Yeah, well, the advantage, of course, with the Coco is it already has the right CPU, so you don't really have to do a 
You're yeah, but really Donkey Kong and Pac-Man aren't the right CPU, and it's still yeah, managed they're, to they're do it. Yeah, they're Z80, so they are really transcodes, uh, where the 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 Z80 code has been re uh, converted across to be 6809 code. But yeah, these these Williams games, they're already 6809. So the only thing that's foreign is the the video hardware, the sound hardware, the I/O hardware for the joysticks and controllers. So yeah. as long as you provide a layer for the game to run in so that the game thinks it's talking to the original hardware, um, but the, uh, that extra layer is, is picking all, the, all that information and feeding it a Coco version or whatever of the um, or a simulated uh, version of the uh, hardware. So it runs. I think yeah, because if I remember original... correctly, we, we looked it up and, and the uh, the sound hardware for the Robotron game in particular was a 6802 or something like it's an yeah, actual Yeah, they had a Motorola separate chip. processor. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, the, the poor Coco, of course, has to do, you know, Double not duty. only run the game and and uh, and, and uh, emulate the, the graphics, it's also got to do the sound. And when you have a computer that has no sound chip or anything, um, it, uh, it, is, it is quite a lot of work. So in advantage, well, one advantage we do have is that I think the arcade runs at was it one megahertz? Did we look that up? Yeah, it was Curtis? one or one and a half. It was it was lower than. Yeah, Coco's so we are speed. lucky on a Coco three. We do have that extra clock speed. We can run it at almost two. So that makes up for a bit of the time that's needed to emulate or make the the the, the original code thinks it's running on real hardware. So it does that. Now, of course. There is a uh, obvious way to fix up some of the um, speed drops that uh, Glenn has uh, found in certain parts of the game, uh, and that is to support the 6309. I reckon that if he uh, made it run a, a support the 6309, because currently the game is designed to run on a standard 6809, so he's having some problems in areas of the game which which are a, a bit more taxing, and it tends to be a, a there tends to be a bit of a slowdown. But, yeah, we've got 6309s in the Cocoa, or many of us do. Um, yeah, just support that. There's a 10% to, you know, 20% speed boost for nothing almost. And that may uh, fix the problem. So he, he's feeling burnt out at the moment. Totally understandable. I know. I know yeah, I know. you've gone through that. So have I. Yeah. So, so yeah, maybe when he cools off a bit or he, you know, Curtis, uh, when he finally decides to do something on the Coco, he might actually take it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I did talk to Glenn about the six or nine. Like even for Defender, there was one or two little tiny glitches in there, though it's it's much closer. And he he wants to remain pure to the original hardware if he possibly can. Now, obviously, I don't have that self-imposed restriction, um, but I would like to make the six eight zero nine version run as best as can. I did take a look at his Defender source code, and I found some very minor optimizations I could have done on that one. I don't know if I'll be able to find enough. Like Robotron's a lot more intensive a game. There's a lot more sprites going on the screen, um, especially in later levels. So we'll see. But yeah, six just turning on six or nine native mode if you have it might you know solve the time. Well, that one, that have yeah, that that's a very simple fix to uh, add on to put in there. It's just one instruction. Yeah, load mode and, and you're done. And and that's that's what I do with any games I do now. Um, I check to see if you have a six or nine on boot up, and if you do, just turn it on. It doesn't yeah. change the way 
anything else works. Yeah, as long you know, as your game's is... driven by like V-Sync or H-Sync so that it's synchronizing yeah, yeah. to the video display, then if the CPU is running faster, you just got free time to get everything done. You don't have to worry about slowdowns. That's right. The code is still 6809, and it's only 6309 specific if you use 6309 specific commands. But without doing that, you can just turn on the native mode and you get a 10, it, it, you accelerate the 6809 portion yeah. of it uh, by about 10% with no, no, no other changes, all. just that one instruction. No, no, that's right. And, and that's it. You've got 10, 10% speed up. And, and it's only once you actually start adding 6309 specific uh, commands is where you can get an, another 10% or even more, uh, depending on what you're doing, um, like, like using... Um, yeah, things like hardware that. math stuff. But, or, yeah. That's right. But as a minimum, you can get a 10% increase just by turning on the native mode, which is just one instruction. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Now, before we get on to your game, I just want to make a, one thing from a, a Dave did a comment, Dave Berry, who's still on the panel, but he did a comment in the chat too, saying, I tried every version of this game, including 16 bit, 32 bit versions. This was better than most by far. So it's, it's a, a testament to. To the Cocos power that it's actually able to, you know, rank with 16 32-bit yeah. systems doing an emulation of Robotron. That's right. Yeah. Well, the, the original hardware didn't really have. It didn't. Did it have sprites? I don't. I don't think it had. No, I think it, it actually had software sprites. If I remember, it was it was a sound you know being driven by the 6802 that was. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think that it, the hardware has a sprites and all these other fancy things that you hear about yeah. on some. It did have a higher palette. Machine. I think it has a 256 color palette. If I remember, so you kind of had to downgrade that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Coco 64 is still pretty good for that, but um, it's um, it really it it, it has a blitter. And I think the Blitter is is its custom video hardware, and it has a separate CPU to run the sound, which is probably samples, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure. So yeah, the Coco has to emulate those two, and by doing techniques on the Coco for doing um, stack blasting, say, or or compile sprites, we can get you know pretty sort of close. And uh, using interrupt sound uh, techniques that we've had in uh, uh, some of our games, we can sort of emulate a second CPU running, you know, playing samples. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, just testament to the the power of the Coco. Agreed. All now right. to go the other direction and do a Coco one and two game at point eight nine five megahertz. <laughs> okay. Now, so we're going to switch to my my latest project so after after um my uh, zero hour um to uh to uh relax a bit from that <laughs> i've jumped into yet another game um and uh i will turn on my share making sure the sound is on this time so my share should be no hang on that's not share the whole right. desktop i did too how about that eh? what a what a dope um <laughs> made it worse that's right honestly nick does know something about computers um <laughs> what's this thing in front of me called the mouse what the hell is that okay that should be um well at least the desktop was family now. friendly <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah full, full of shit. um <laughs> 
Okay, so my latest game is, uh, which I, I showed you last time, but I'll just show you more of a progress report. But for those who did don't know or didn't see last week's show, I decided to go back to back to doing a uh, a game that will run on every Coco. So it's not Coco three specific. I've decided to go back to the roots to go and, and do a Coco one game. This will work on a sixteen k Coco one original Coco, um, and that that means running at uh, half the half the speed. 0.89 megahertz and it's called when it loads up retro wow this is oh this is running um Man. i'm running this in mame that's why it's taking such a long time to load anyway the game's called jumping joey is the music playing yep okay so yeah, one of the things I wanted to do in this game, and I, I did it on an earlier game, Pipes. Uh, pipes, when I did Pipes, I wanted a game whereby I had background, interrupt-driven music playing, uh, not just beepy, you know, beepy music type. I wanted to have a proper envelope on, on the notes, uh, but running on a Coco 1 at 0.8 megahertz, interrupt-driven, um, while the game was playing. And what I did, but because it's 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 a bit harder to do on a Coco One as it is uh, on a Coco Three, uh, I, I chose a simpler game. And Pipes doesn't have too much uh, uh, real time action on the screen. I figured, well, being a simpler game, that'll give me enough CPU time to be able to generate background music. Um, so this is going back to that idea, but this time I want to actually have a game that has got a bit more uh, action graphics uh, and animation and still have the music. So trying to, uh, to um, get more, more, more creative as, I, as time goes on. So Jumping Joey started off as, uh, as the idea of doing a Frogger game. I always wanted to do a Frogger game. But from Frogger, it evolved because I, I, I wanted to do something original, but I still wanted to do Frogger, and uh, and Ken here made a great suggestion. Uh, I don't know if he's still on uh, on the uh, list here, but um, yep, right Ken here. Suggest, yep, Ken. Ken made a suggestion. Says, "Oh, why don't you why don't you do a, a, you know, a kangaroo jumping Joey?" And I liked that idea. I thought, "Oh, that's great because you know I can ditch the frog and put a put a kangaroo in there. You know, give it a bit of an Australian." Um, Australian flavor to it and then, hey hang on I'm Australian too hey perfect so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it became jumping Joey so it's still the same game it's still you know you, in, in the original Frogger you have to um, cross a freeway dodging cars and then and then you get to a river where you've got to um, jump on on the backs of uh, crocodile uh, alligators and and logs floating in the water to get to the to, to the end of your journey well, this time, um, you, you you still have that, but I've split it up so it's not all on one screen. Because I'm using this uh, semi-graphics mode, uh, which is lower res, I thought, well, why don't I just split the screens up? So you have one screen will be the freeway, the next one will be the, um, the, the river scene. Um, and uh, again, I, you know, I want the game to look colourful. You know, there's a reason why we it's called a Tandy 
color computer. So, which always annoyed me back in the day because uh, many of the games that I used to see back in the day, you know, I'd walk, rock, rock up to the Tandy store, I'd see their color computer. And what was running? Oh, Poltergeist in black and white. Yeah, okay, that's really colorful, guys. <laughs> well, that was, that was so, partly because of the PAL. You guys didn't have the artifact colors. Well, that's right, but we didn't know that. We thought Americans were just colorblind. You know, so, you know, they're calling it a color <laughs> computer, and yet all I'm seeing is them black and white. I mean, they're crazy. But, yeah, later on, by the it, was, it wasn't until after the mid-'80s, actually, I realized, hey, they, they've got a thing called NTSC. They probably are seeing... You know, this these artifact colors. All oh, right, so they weren't stupid. I was. <laughs> um, but anyway, the goal here uh, is uh, to try to bring up the semi graphics modes, which um, do give you nine colors, including colors. black on the screen at once. So, yeah, exactly, on a black background. So, I really want it to be colorful. Um, and at the moment, of the game, I don't have the kangaroo jumping. But um, I've yeah, the got sound the levels of uh, yeah, I've got the sound effects for a, for a invisible kangaroo, so <laughs> I'll play that so you can hear it. Also, before um, you go on uh, any further, Nick, uh, Mr. David raised his hand, so I think he wanted to ask a question. So, Mr. David, oh, okay, asking a question. Yep. Go ahead, Dave. Are you still muted, Dave? Or are you still on the call? I think he fell asleep. Yeah, I, I do that trick all the time. <laughs> I had a question though before he so he has. Oh, okay, go ahead, Todd. Yeah. Um, did you write that song, the intro music? It's really uh, good. Uh, no, no, no. Well, yeah, I entered it into the computer. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> who, who wrote it? I mean, it's um on the title screen is the um, waltzing Matildas. <laughs> oh, it's been okay. It's been written a long time ago. Uh, in game, there's uh, when you start the game, there'll be some other songs in there. And again, I didn't write the song; they're actually Australian. Uh, okay. I tried. I'm, I'm trying to go on that on Ken's idea of uh, of going to an Australian theme. So I'm I'm trying to take Frogger and Australianize it. <laughs> so it was very it's very catchy and very well uh, implemented. So I like it. Yeah, yeah, and I've done things like. You know, I'm not a big fan of actually music in the background because it drives you nuts after a while. So I've got it so it goes silent for um, for a while, like here on the title screen. If you let it go, after about five cycles of going through the uh, title and high scores, it will go back and play it again. So not playing all the time. But anyway, I'll start the game so you can hear the other tracks and, uh, and I'll... And see the other screens. And then also... Uh, the fact that you've changed it so that the volume after it plays the initial run oh, of the music the other in thing, game. Yeah. yeah, again, again to play music constantly in the background, it just drives you nuts after, after a while. So it plays, it'll play the song once. It's only a short song. Plays it once, and then it'll repeat it, but it'll repeat it at a lower volume. So it's sort of there. It's a more of an ambient song, so it doesn't drive you crazy. So that's the first level of the game. Um, whereby you'll, you'll be taking your kangaroo and jumping across a freeway, um, dodging all those cars, and you can hear the, um, the, the music in the background. It's gone into a uh, half-volume mode now, but your kangaroo, when he, when he actually does appear, will... You 
here's a jumping. Now, this is just doing it in MAME. So there is a bit of a jerk here, I noticed, in, um, in MAME. That's, 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 it doesn't normally jerk like that. Yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll look into that. I hate emulators. It's it's perfect <laughs> on a real Coco. It, it doesn't it doesn't stop at all. So um, that's the first level. Then the next one was to be the the river scene from Frogger, but then I decided, well, let's Australianize it a bit more, and I added another level between the freeway and the uh, the river. So when you do, I've got a cheat code so I can just jump there. So, oh, there's a, another tune there. Um, so now it's sort of like the freeway scene. There won't be this, this many cars. I've got I've got cars on every every um, lane, but there's a moving fence, and you've got to well, you can't cr uh, you've got to cross the fence in the gap. So there won't be so many cars because uh, there's no way you're going to be able to, to to get across that road without being wiped out by by a vehicle because you can't get across unless you go through that gap. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be varying difficulty level to have, you know, less vehicles. There might be a few other ideas I can throw into it, but that's the extra level that it, uh, is going to be there. And one other thing you then, just demonstrated that you've added last time is a scrolling effect to get to the next Oh, uh, yeah, just, just to scroll to the next one, just to give the effect that you're, you're moving on to the next screen. And that's the river scene. So you've got to jump on the backs of turtles, of logs, of uh, crocodiles. Uh, not their mouth, just like in Frogger. If you jump on their mouth, they eat you. There will be a snake moving on the screen. And the goal is to, to get your, your, your kangaroo up into the other side of the river. Um, but yeah, you can hear it playing the, uh, the music on the background. And on a real Coco or some reason uh, this in MAME you can see it, it, it jerks whenever it plays the jumping sound which is annoying uh, it doesn't jerk it actually does play the music properly two voices um, with a, uh, a a fade on every note it's not just a note coming on it actually does ha have what they call an envelope on the note um, and it's all interrupt driven and the doesn't slow the game down at all and just yeah so and the fact so you good. managed to cram this here like you're gonna have multiple tunes you have the intro tune you have the tunes for the different levels plus the actual gameplay the three screens and this is going to work on a 16k coco well that, that's right because the music routine doesn't use any samples is actually generating square waves just basic old square waves um uh, in two voices so and i can just jump back to the first screen this way yeah, so um, there. Yeah, it doesn't take up any space to, to for for the sound generation. Uh, it does for holding the notes of the music, of course, but that's it. So yeah, sixteen k is the uh, is the uh, the goal. Also, there's some and comments and feature creep in the chat room ready here. So Erico Montero says, creep. "Will it be a female kangaroo like the frog you get on the back in the original?" I know. Yeah, I was sort of wondering about that. <laughs> I could do that, yeah. Or if it's not a female uh, kangaroo, it'll be something else that that you have to collect along the way. Um, 
So going along with that, we've got uh, Fred Provencher says, I think we need some wombats in there somewhere. And then Rick Euland, who's actually on the call here, says uh, you need a cuckoo burrow on your back. And uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there will be a snake. There will be a spider. Um, there's a kangaroo, of course. Um, there's turtles. There's crocodiles, not alligators, crocodiles. Um but yeah, yeah, there's still room for a wombat or something. <laughs> but yeah, that that's my latest game. And down the bottom, of course, you have that big green bar, which is a timer, which is going to be dropping down. So you've got to complete all this or get across all this before the timer reaches the bottom, of course. Now, is that timer going to be for each screen level or is that the timer it's to get all every, the way? I think the original... I think the original Frogger has it for every frog. So you've got the timers counting how long you, your frog has got to get to the other side. As soon as it gets to the other side, uh, you get another frog because you, you've got to get five frogs across. So for every frog, the timer starts at the, at the beginning. Um, okay. Yeah. So what I might do is also have a few objects that you might be able to collect on the way to get extra points. Um, and obviously the, the, the longer time you spend collecting those will use up the timer. So you've got to sort of balance your, you, you, you've got to get, get across as quick as you can, but collect as much, as many bonus points as you can. But uh, yeah, like I said at the beginning, the real theme here, the real goal was to create a color computer game so hence i've really wanted to get lots of color in there and i want to i want to emphasize that we can produce um music in the background during gameplay on a coco one so looking good so far it's pretty amazing yeah that's that, pretty amazing this is all semi-graphics all this, this is, is all semi-graphics yeah that's right I mean, the, the highest one, it's, it's semi-graphics 12, isn't it? Or is it 8? It's I can't 12, yeah. yeah. It's semi-graphics 12. So this screen takes up 3K. So it's a pretty small. Um, and, uh, the, and and there are limitations. Like one thing I wanted to do, if I go to the river level, I originally wanted to have the river having blue water. At the moment, it looks like you are, you're trying to cross a big oil slick because it's black. <laughs> you know, I thought, well... Why don't I do a blue? Because, you know, we've got blue. But the problem is semi-graphics only allows one color plus black. Uh, per Every bike. two horizontal pixels. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I did originally try have a blue background and try work, design the graphics to work around that color limitation. But it was hard to avoid having little black speckles everywhere where I didn't want mm -hmm. them. It looked overall looked more colourful if you step back, you know, nice blue water. But when you get up close to play it, yeah, the, the graphics looked sloppy. It just, I thought, no, nah, no. Nah. It, 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 for anyone else who doesn't realise the limitations of of, of semi graphics, they'll think that I just can't draw properly. Which, yeah, could be half right. But uh, <laughs> I um, I decided make it black because that's what this mode really wants. It wants a color and black. So there it is, black. It just looks cleaner, but yeah. It does. Just... Uh, well, you know, I'm thinking of the future. It's, it's a heavily polluted river. 
<laughs> so there Which you is go. probably See? pretty mm-hmm. accurate depiction of the it's future. Pretty so accurate, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Well, the other thing is, too, is, I mean, you you can later customize this for like a Coco VJ where you can actually set the palettes. You can actually change it so you can mix. You can even redefine yeah, the well, character so you can Coco mix colors. 3, even on yeah. the Coco 3, I could change it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make this game so it's like one game runs on every Coco. Coco 1, yeah. 2, and 3, and a dragon, and 16K. Yeah. So, well, like I said, uh, just like I said, uh, you could you could make a little patch for it later for people like we did with the Coco VGA, you know, palette patches for existing games. You can actually make it look a little bit closer just by doing a couple. I could palettes do and... well. Two problems with that: one, I don't have a Coco VGA myself, and two, once the project's done, I'm going to be moving on to the, my next game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so once more, I got to hack and fix your games. Oh God! Just just <laughs> when I'm starting to get. <laughs> I'm getting to the burnout stage. I say, okay, that's it. Move on. <laughs> this one's done. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, it looks really good, Nick. It really does. And adding that third level in between, I think, once again, kind of like John was mentioning during his presentation, take an existing arcade game that you're going to clone, but then not only add your own spin of like, you know, changing the theme to Australian, which is nice, but it's basically yeah. still the same game. You're actually adding some new gameplay. I'm trying to make it, well, not original. It's, not even really a mashup. I don't know what you'd call it. I guess when you live on the other side of the world and everything's upside down, expanded. you come up with these. I ideas. would say expanded. Yeah. It's it's yeah, a re- yeah. reimagined. That's it. That's it. I'll go with <laughs> that. Go. Yeah, that. That sounds good. Reimagined. <laughs> like in my games, I imagine they're actually going to be good someday. So <laughs> hasn't happened oh. yet, but I'm still waiting. <laughs> the, crocs, the crocs need to chomp as they go across the screen yeah i don't I, they do in the original arcade game as well but i figured oh that's now it's not impossible to do but yeah it depends on how burnt out i am by the end of it so i'll, I'll, I'll get the main game up there and then if i still have some energy i might add he still has a little bit of patience well. left oh. that's right yeah yeah i mean this is only a little a small title which i'll probably just sell for for a peanuts it's a, just just to, to prove the point that the color computer did have color guys <laughs> all those commodore 64 people saying oh look, nice black and white mm. <laughs> oh we had, we had like i said we had some artifact colors but yeah this is more ah, well than those anything in, in semi-graphics yeah it had eight, had the eight colors yeah, yeah. but uh, even in, in even in the graphics modes you know you had four and a set number of four you know Hence yeah. why Puyan's got a, a purple sky or purple trees or whatever it was. Well, that was just bad palette choices on the developer. Yeah, there. it was actually. That was a that really bad palette choice. The other palette would have looked so much better as it would have. Proof, I, yeah. I, which which for added to my theory back in the day that Americans are colorblind. <laughs> 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 but yeah, anyway. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks, thanks for the update, Nick. Uh, I, I like the okay, scrolling I'll... effect, and I like the the sound oh, and stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, thanks for uh, helping present Robotron too to, to kind of show people what that looks like. Yeah, trying to. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a couple more game updates to do, which I'll just do with some videos that people have released here, since they're not on the panel today. Some of them might be in the chat if they want to comment on some of the stuff. So let me get my screen situated here, and then I'll share and see if I can remember to turn the sound on. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, so first up, now uh, there's a couple of bits in the news, which I'll just breeze over. The news, I'm actually going to probably not play as much of videos as I normally do, just because we're already running pretty long, and there's a lot of news to get caught up on. Uh, but AC, Alan of the AC's 8-bit zone, he's been working on his Coco DV, which is a another graphic you know, accelerator that adds tiles and sprites and some sound and stuff. So he's actually been working, and we've kind of showed it before. A Pac-Man game is kind of a demonstration of the technology this thing can do. So this is actually showing some of that and he'd done some previous videos that are in the news that were a little bit earlier than this particular demo here just showing some of the features of the chip like how to do tiles and that kind of thing so this one here he goes through a little bit of explanation what the coco dv does and then he does a, a couple little sample programs but i'm just going to play a beginning bit here where he's actually playing pac-man so he's got the uh, chip doing the tile graphics doing the hardware sprites and doing the actual multi-voice sound routine so this is all running on a 16k coco one uh, with this little hardware card added in. Hello and welcome to AC's 8-Bed Zone. That's too loud or is that This good? is the month of May and That's May, good. 42 years ago, Pac-Man was released by Namco. So I've recreated Pac-Man from scratch and I have it running on this color computer one. Now the game isn't completely nice, finished, clean, but it's finished yep. enough to make it playable. Uh, this is running on uh, Coco DV hardware upgrade that provides a uh, digital video out to a modern display. Okay, I think before I show you the whole... So then he goes in kind of his explanation. I'll just fast forward because this is the game segment part. So I'll just get to the part where the game's playing after he explains how everything works. So it's loaded the sprites. Okay, now it's now the game's ready to go. Okay, so things that are working are uh, obviously the the ghosts targeting is working. Uh, the ghost can can catch Pac-Man, and right now Pac-Man cannot eat the power-up pills to then go gobble ghosts. I mean, he can eat the power pills, but I haven't programmed in the mode yet that allows him to uh, to eat the ghosts. Oh. And also, as you can see, I don't really have a uh, an end scene in place. So right now, if if Pac-Man gets killed, he just, or if Pac-Man gets eaten, he just respawns, and we keep playing. This is a 16K Coco One. Yeah, that's pretty good. With this, with this uh, little Coco good. DV card, so. Yeah. <laughs> on a Coco okay, One. So this is going to go on forever. Yeah. So I mean, this this is the same system requirements with the addition of the cartridge as your jumping doies. But he's yeah, got 16 yeah, color yeah. graphics. He's got hardware sprites. He's got tiles. Hardware scrolling's built into this thing. The the digital video out that you can hook it up to a modern HDMI display, etc. So there's. There's a ton of stuff in this little card. I don't know exactly what the price is going to be. I think he did mention roughly what he's expecting it to go. But by the time it comes out, I mean, with the way chip things have been going lately, I, I don't want to even you know promise anything at this point. But he's, he's gotten quite a, quite a ways through it here. He's, he's got the game yeah. quite playable and stuff. So 
There's a lot yeah. of hardware accelerator. Dave's working on you know hardware accelerator stuff for Coco Three that's even going beyond this. And then this is a nice, uh, probably a little bit of a cheaper solution for the the Coco One Two. Uh, obviously, this should still work on a Coco Three if you wanted to to run these types of games. If you had this particular hardware card, you should be able to run the multi voice sound and the the hardware sprites and you know tiles well, and stuff too. But but this card though goes into the um, onto the motherboard though, so it may not work on a Coco Three. Oh, well, that's right too, doesn't it? But you give some details here about, uh, you know, 260 unique tiles and a tile lookup table and, um, you know, different graphics modes, et cetera, too. And then he goes more into detail in the actual video. So go check out the video. And the, the part I skipped in the middle is kind of going through the hardware and what it's capable of doing, uh, how to redefine character sets. You can redefine, like, the, the actual fonts that the VDG, et cetera, does, too. So it's a pretty interesting video. It's a good uh, Coco one as well. Gray yeah. looks yeah. Fairly clean, yeah. It's even got a black background on the graphics there. You see that, Nick? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I'm sold. <laughs> now, now, if the Coco one looked like this back in the day, then I wouldn't have thought Americans are colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, I do. I think the Coco one would have sold a lot better, but this is. Oh yeah, would have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because this is this is putting it right up there against you know the C sixty four and the Atari 4800, 800 and some of the more modern. Because this even looks like it could be uh, higher res too. The yeah. resolution's higher, yeah. So anyway, go check out the rest of the video if you want some of the details on what's in there. Yeah, uh, next good. up, I'm going to borrow the. Unfortunately, this these were shot at the at Coco Fest, and we definitely have to arrange to get slightly better audio and video. Uh, for what we can record for streaming. Well, if you were in person, it was fine. We had mics and you know amps and speakers and stuff. There was quite easy to hear people. But unfortunately, we didn't have a direct line into a console or anything. So basically we had to capture it off of you know laptop mics and stuff. So it's kind of roomy and stuff here and just you know raw shot video from the back of the room. So I'm just going to play a little bit of a clip. There's two of them here. I want to play a bit of Bruce Moore's demonstrating the realm of doom with the MP3 player hardware that he's adding on he also supports pi drive wire that michael Furman's working on so you can stream the vid, uh, audio across from a pc host to play through the coco under coco control and then this is a uh, coco bond which is uh, paul thayer's and he gave a bit of a presentation on the tools and stuff he uses on doing this but this is uh trying to remember it's based on an android game i think it's a, some portable game but it's a it's a strategy with some arcade elements game where you're directing lasers and stuff and you got opponents and things. So I'll just play a little clip of it in the middle so you can kind of see what the screen looks like. All right. I used all of these tools and more and all of those techniques to create what will be Pokemon someday. Hopefully sooner than later, like I said. Um, there's going to be a level editor in this game so that uh, you can create and play custom levels with you and your friends. Take the file, put it on a virtual disk, send it to Steve Strovich, say, hey, check out my levels, what do you think? Um, you got a bunch of icons on the left that do various things. This is joystick controlled. I think I enabled the break key here. Yes, I did. Cool. Um, and the game itself, you're gonna have five safe slots. A star means that you have something saved there. I'm going to overwrite that. So I, there it is in all its glory. I have some bumps to work out. And I am currently on, I'm going to start revision eight of this game uh, to hopefully clear out some of the bugs because it seems like every time I add a new module, I break something else. 
and I had some really strange things happening that were really hard to debug. But the premise of this game is I'm going to try and get that green gem down in the bottom right corner. There are some black spaces, like, uh, for example, you see the key on the left? There's supposed to be a lock right there, but I have not programmed the functions for the locks yet. So um, certain locks are unlocked by doing certain things. Um, so one, there's an orange colored lock. In this case, it's right here. That lock is unlocked or disappears like it is now when you pick up that key on the left side. There's another lock that is gray with a black keyhole. And what that does is when you take these gems and you fill all those slots, you would unlock that keyhole or that lock. And the last lock is one of my favorites. So over here on the left, there's three, and up there, there's one laser emitter. And you can use mirrors to reflect those. And those little gray blocks, the blue, are receptacles for those lasers. Fill all the receptacles, unlock the laser lock. And then usually you can defeat the level. Um, and not in the very beginning, but uh, later on, there's this, our friend the Beholder down there. He uh, tends to be pretty, pretty lethal. <laughs> and he's going to follow you around. So, as you can see, he's, he's staring at you, and he can't wait to get you, but he can't go past any lasers, because lasers will kill him. And I've gotten a laser to kill him twice in this level, and I can't remember how I did it. But, anyways, um, when he will kill you, you run into him, kind of thing like that. So that's as far as I've gotten. I also have some, uh, these are portals over here. Oops, almost died. And that'll bring you up here. So I think the idea in that specific one was to push this gem through the portal, put it in that slot. Now I gotta get out. And these right here are death spaces. Once you can pass through, see there's one of my errors. I don't have lasers anymore. So I was gonna show you the mirrors, but uh, I haven't I have an error. Um, so anyway, that was just kind of his work in progress and also you know how he does development stuff. So it's a uh, some arcade elements, a lot of strategy and puzzle type stuff. So it's uh it's a it can be a casual game, but it can get quite complicated, especially in later, or later levels. He's also, as he mentioned, including the level editors you can create your own, which is kind of neat because uh, we don't have too many Coco games that come with their own level editors. Um, so I'm interested to see what the community can come up with on there. And send them to Stevie. I, I like that idea because Stevie, uh, I, he's not really into these types of games. So I just love to watch the frustration level build and build until he rage quits. So Ken, we'll have to make that a game of the week once it's out there. Just to, And we have to make sure Stevie attends. Sorry, that's his uh, Cocoa Bond game in progress. Uh, the last one I'll be showing today for updates is Bruce Moore's Realm of Doom, which is a sequel to Forest of Doom. Uh, this is now done, instead of in semi-graphics 4 mode, this is now done in P mode 4 graphics. It also has the option of supporting Pi Drive Wire or the MP3 module that Jim Brain will be doing uh, to play MP3 files. And basically the Cocoa controls, uh, similar to what other people had mentioned on some of their MP3 stuff here earlier today, is that you can just tell the Cocoa to go play this thing in the background. And it can, in the case of Bruce's game, this can be music in the background. It could be voices. 
He's got, he's got a lot of voice acting and stuff in here when you're interacting with characters on the screen. Like you go to the bar, you can listen in on conversations to get clues and stuff like that. Sound effects when you're fighting monsters, etc. So I'll play a little bit of it here. sound effects and dialogue but how you ask introducing the coco mp3 and since i'll be covering a bit of more detail of that in the actual news segment i'll stop it there but uh a lot of us saw this at the fest, and of course, you had the speakers kind of crank. But when you're attacking different animals, all the animals have different sounds. Uh, some of the weapon sets have different sounds. There's there's musical backgrounds. There's the uh, you know basically talking with interactive characters in the game. Uh, it has a really good ambiance to it. And of course, you know Bruce is a professional musician, so I imagine the the rest of the song tracks and stuff he's doing for it are just going to sound amazing too. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, there's a lot of game development going on. I mean, there's multiple other games in development too that we're not talking about today. It just happen to be the ones that you know have had recent updates, and uh, there's a bunch of others still ongoing too. So, the Coco community has been expanding. We've noticed that you know from Coco Fest attendee attendance, uh, you know, except for COVID, of course, which restricted it for a couple of years, but uh, also the Facebook group. You know, the downloads of the various podcasts for the Coco have been climbing up on average between all three of them really so i mean the coco community is thriving honestly and the gaming part of the coco community is thriving as well it's it's not just us geeks doing you know nerdy utilities all the time but actual fun stuff so that's that's the coco games update for today um i think next uh oh. you want a short commercial break i wouldn't do a too long one because this show is going to be long as it is we don't want to you know pat it out even more but the, after that, we come back and do the game on challenge, and then I'll get on the game on news. So, Mark, if you've got a little ad yep. to do, go for it. Hello, I'm David Ladd. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live Coco Talk show. ESP 8266-01 RS232 TTL Wi-Fi Network 4-pin DIN Fitbanger DB9 PC IP DriveWire 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 Hey, what's going on everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here with you. And in case you didn't know, I've actually got merchandise, right? So I've got now two DVDs. This was my first DVD I released last year for the 25th anniversary Last Chicago Coco Fest. This features 20 videos and three hours of color computer game videos. This is my second DVD. This is a brand new one for the 2017 um, Last Chicago Coco Fest. And this one features 13 brand new color computer gameplay videos that you won't see anywhere else. Robocop. Ooh, Robocop. 
gotcha, sucker. This is not bad. Not bad at all. Yes, I did it! Oh, freaking right! Look at that! I made it past Yellow Belt. Very cool. I am getting the crap freaking bombed the hell out of me here. Okay, that the square guy looks kind of like a puckering sphincter. Alright, there we go. Game over. Oh, that didn't last long. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay, so I've got to jump over the spikes and under the ball. So, if you like my videos and you want to help support a starving artist, you can head on over to 8bit256.com and grab yourself a copy of one or both of these DVDs because they're both awesome. And if you like color computer gameplay videos, you might like these DVDs. So check them out. Thanks for watching my videos, everybody. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT. Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Were Coco mice bad back in the day? Because the Coco cat kept eating them? Welcome everybody to this week's Coco Talk results of the game on Challenge of the Week. This week we played Grey Lady. We had a total of 16 players. We had Mr. Dave 6309 with 1800. Ed Rhodes 2700. Tom C 6000. Tasman 6100. Anna Arcana, 6,400. Damon Beals, 7,600. Mark B, 8,700. Kieran, 10,800. Jim Rye, 11,400. Brian Walsh, 11,900. Buck Owens, 12,800. Canadian Retro Things, 14,400. Hey guys, I think I gotta Rich jump N, out of here. Nineteen thousand five hundred. Okay. Uh, I gotta do a couple Sloopy things. Sloopy Malibu, twenty-two thousand seven hundred. Eight bits in the basement, twenty-three thousand three hundred. And the number one score this week was L. Curtis Boyle with twenty-seven thousand two hundred. 
There was also a score submitted that deserves a shout out from Mark B with a score of 1,829,300. I think something's suspicious about that one. No, Thanks really? everybody that played <laughs> and we will see you next week. I don't know, Mark, was that a legitimate score or what? Well, it's not photoshopped. <laughs> <laughs> that score was uh, uh, scored live on the air during the uh, show. So it did actually happen. Mark, do you want to tell people what you did to get that score? Um, no. On VCC, basically double speed poke and cranked it to 200 megahertz and just held my phone down on the button. <laughs> and the thing about that was that the only thing that was uh, not sped up was the timer. So you got lots of time to shoot and kill everything and yeah, score lots of points. So yeah, basically the, 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 uh, the V-Sync timer for doing the, the timer rotating down was based on real, you know, one sixtieth of a second ticks. So it was drawing it at normal speed, but the rest of the game is running literally a hundred times faster. So you have a hundred times, uh, you know, more shots happening and more stuff getting killed. So you can just rack up the score like crazy. And the game works that you can progress to a level if you've killed enough of the fleet, a percentage of the of ships that have gone by or a certain number of ships. I can't remember uh, before you go, before the timer runs out. Well, when you've got a hundred times as much time to shoot stuff in the same amount of time, it's pretty easy. <laughs> That's what Mark <laughs> discovered. And, Until uh, the third level. Yeah, because the third level, it drops you a depth charge. You can't even see it. <laughs> so, so it's like, as soon as that third level hits, you're done. All right. So for Grey Lady this week, there was one review in Rainbow. Um, I need permission to share screens. Uh, there's the button. Go ahead. And then okay. Todd, was it you who has to run? Sorry, yeah, I had a few. I, I got a few things up. That's cool. Uh, okay, so I just want to okay. thank you again for coming on the show, and thanks for showing up, uh, Clickamania. Absolutely, thanks so and, much for having me, and it was so fun. I've always wanted to do one of these, so awesome. Okay, and then we'll we'll catch you on Discord. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my Lord Dragon or Dragon, but it's one of those two on Discord. But uh, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. I had okay. fun. All right, take care. Bye. 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 Hey, go ahead, Ken. Sorry. I just wanted to get All that All right. For you. So um, this uh, reviewer thought that the game was a little bit repetitive, but it was enjoyable. So, um, yeah. And apparently if you had the Spectrum voice back, not the Tandy one, because I don't think it was out yet when this was originally was written, but it actually talked too. Yeah. And that was the other thing that I found um, that Terry never even mentioned, I don't think, did he? I think he briefly mentioned, but he couldn't remember if it worked with the sound speech pack, which is the most okay. common one. Um, I don't have a Spectrum voice pack, so I don't even know what it says or anything. So anybody that's got a Spectrum uh, voice pack out there should uh, fire this up and see what it says. Agreed. Okay, so that's that. And um, yeah. So we had a fairly good turnout this week. And uh, during the live 
um, gaming thing, we had a fair number of people playing it too. So I think we had five, maybe six at a time at one point. Yep. Yeah. And there's there's various levels as you go through, so it's not just the same gameplay over and over. Yeah. You're not just straight so there shooting. is there's four levels in the game. The first one starts out you're just shooting the ships. The second one's there's uh, mines in the way or rocks or something. <laughs> uh, the third one, the ships drop depth charges at you, and if you get hit by a depth charge or a depth charge hits the bottom of the screen, you die. And in the fourth one, you've got the obstacles and the depth charges. And then it repeats. So, a fun little game to uh, kill some time with. Agreed. And, and as far as strategies go, um, the one thing that you can get killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't get killed. The, the, the one thing that you have to try to remember is that when you start shooting, you can, you can hold on the fire button for auto-repeat fire, but you're only out four shots on the screen at once. But you send them off in volleys of four. So if you shoot two, you can only then shoot two more before it pauses until all four are done before you can fire again. So that takes a little bit of time to get used to because I was you know, trying to pick shots and stuff. And then you know, I'd, I'd run out of shots. You can't fire again until all four are done. So if you fire two and then you wait, you, you can only fire two. Uh, you can't get another volley of four, even if the other two complete. So you have to kind of keep take that into consideration. Yeah, I found that... Um shooting all four in the first two screens is the best way to go. And then in, once you get into the depth charges, pick your shots for destroying the depth charges. Yeah. Cause as soon as one hits the bottom of the screen, you're dead. Like the game's over. So yeah. that's critical. And there's nothing like having one of those depth charges falling towards you as you're waiting for all your bullets to go up at the other side of the screen. Yep. So you can fire again. I got burned in that. I don't know how many times. <laughs> And it is uh, just one life. So if you get killed, you're dead. Yeah. And then for for continuing on in the uh, screens, I think it's 40% of the ships you have to kill at the top of the screen. Something like that. Yeah. It's not point-based because each of the ships, there's different sizes and they different speeds. So there's four different ones. And they're worth 100, 300, 500, 700 points. So the smallest, fast ships which are the hardest to hit are worth the most, obviously, and the slow, big ones are worth the least. So it's not a points-based thing. Like, if you shoot a bunch of the 100-point big ships that are easy, you may not get enough to get onto the next screen. Yeah, it's just the number of uh, ships you actually kill in total. You definitely needed a real analog joystick. Yes, Yes. that's the other thing is that it requires an analog joystick because with the digital joystick... You can only fire from three points in the screen, which makes the depth charge level impossible. Yeah. And I don't know what Sleepy was doing. His screen was backwards. He had the wrong color set. So I don't know. Uh, he, he, he was um, running Playing on his Kuyan. real Coco there, which on um, a Coco one. And for some reason, it was in the wrong palette. And yeah, it, look, it looks like he must he have had a hacked version it. or something because it's. Yeah. It's it's the the game itself in the archive does not have that palette setting. That's P mode three, not four. And uh, the um, the setup that he has for uh, capturing video off of his Coco One reverses the image when it goes through um, the streaming service. So 
Yeah, that's a bit weird. But it, I mean, it works. It captures okay. Yeah, it just worked. I think he just had a he has either a bad copy or a hack copy or something, and maybe like because of uh, like we were talking with Nick earlier, you know, on PAL systems, there's no artifacting, so it just looks like a bunch of gray stripes. So it mm -hmm. might be that he might have just grabbed one that was made more for PAL Cocos in Australia or maybe you know Cocos and Dragons in, in Europe, uh, where this actually would appear in color at least. You know, not the greatest colors, but at least would be in color. Didn't he say he was using the SDC? Uh, uh, he said it was pack. off the SDC one, but. Yeah, maybe it's something with his system. You know, Sloopy likes to tinker with all the... Uh, yeah, he might have, like, hardwired a pin on the VDG or something to change the... Anyway, it still worked. Yep. And we could watch it in reverse. <laughs> Almost Australian. He just had to flip it over, then it would work <laughs> in Australia. And to flip it up, down, instead of left, right, he would have had it. Yeah. Um, other than that, for tips and tricks, I don't know if there's much else to say. So no, pretty well, you know, pretty work, simple work, game work around the four shots. And uh, yeah. as you mentioned, you, on, whenever you get the stuff of the dropping mines on you, like you have to pick your shots. You can't just yeah. blast us. But uh, yeah, so that was Grey Lady. I'm not going to prattle on too much about it because the we, show we, is running long. So we, we have a comment from 8 bits in the basement, which I didn't know. The version I used gave different colors when the clear key was pressed. So you could switch palette sets. I wonder if Sloopy just accidentally hit clear and left it. Oh, that's possible. I never did hit the clear button on my computer. So and you think I would be? I'm used to Nitro 9. That's how I switch windows. So I should have <laughs> yeah, been hit clear. <laughs> Well, maybe I'll have to give that a try and see what happens. All right. So I guess we want to see what next week's game is. Does anybody know what game this is? That is Ken Kalish's Devil's Assault from Tom Nix, I believe. That sounds just about right. Here's the title screen. As a matter of fact, yes, that's exactly right. So it is a kind of a version of um, Demon, Demon Attack. Attack. Yeah, yeah. With some the differences, there are some, some unique very, things. Some differences, yeah. There's quite a, actually quite a few differences. Once you get past the first screen, it's actually quite a bit different than Demon Attack. Inspired by, or what did we yeah. call it before? Imagine, reimagined. A reimagined. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> So that's the uh, Coco Talk Game On Challenge for next week. Now, Ken, you're actually going on a vacation. Now, are you still going to be hosting this segment during that whole time, do you think? Or? As far as I know, yep. Is there any point where you're going to be in transit during one of the live Game On Challenges? No, I've actually got my transit. Uh, since I'm not driving all the way across North America, only halfway, <laughs> transit should only take a couple of days. So I'll be away on, I think, a Monday, Tuesday, getting to my place on Wednesday. So Okay. I like it. You actually plan your, your life around the show. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's dedication. Or, or stupidity, is, one of the two. There is the important things in life, and Coco Talk is one of them. <laughs> cool. But, yeah. So, there we go. I guess we can move on with the snoozy newsy now. Yeah, I will <laughs> do the game on news. I'm going to plow through those fairly quickly, and the real news... Uh, 
probably do one more break for that, but I'm really going to plow through those. I won't be playing too many of the videos. So it'll be like, if you want to actually watch the videos and get a kind of a feel for it, probably do the, the news links that are published in the, uh, the news summaries channel on discord that has all the links and the little descriptions of them each. So, okay, here's your intro. Okay, take it away, Curtis. Okie dokies. Okay, now this is catching up three weeks of news. This is news that happened the week before Coco Fest up till now. And I did actually take some out because it was going to be a long show. Um, so some of the small stuff, uh, you might have missed a few things this week. So first up, uh, we've got some updates <clears throat> from Paris Surratt on the AGD game packs. So this is the one where he's done the modification so it'll handle some of the smaller sprite-based games. So they've got another six-pack, pack number 56, which contains games such as Alien Slaphead, Battle from Below, Bomb Bomb Buster Easy Version, Bomb Bomb Buster the regular version, Meyer Mare 2 version 2.2, which is some updates to the Meyer Mare game we've talked about, which is one of the reasons he actually did this update to handle these different sprites. And then Stars, and I'll just quickly breeze through a couple of the screenshots here. Um... I mean, most of them look like fairly standard AGD games, platform style. I'm just going to try to find the Meyer Mare. I can't remember what was different on that one. But that's one of the more extravagant ones that has the layers, sprite layers and stuff like that, too. So you can actually have sprites go behind other sprites and things. And a lot more animations, so... Anyway, that whole uh, pack is out. So there's another six games there. So we're up to, uh, I don't know, we're getting close to 300 yet of the AGD games. And then as he's uh, want to do, basically roughly once every month, if he's had releases of AGD game packs, he'll actually do what he calls the big packs, which is where you can download, if you're new to the AGD stuff, you can download one honking big zip file that has every single game released so far for the Coco and the Dragon. So uh, this is the, the two versions you get here. You get the short file names, which is meant for the Coco SDC, 8.3 standard character file names, and long file names, which are a bit more descriptive, but you know would run on an emulator like Name or VCC or XROAR. So if you want to get the whole thing in one shot, you can go grab those too. Now, lately, for some reason, he's been posting these on RetroWiki, which is in, I think, Spanish. Um, he used to post them at the same time on the Dragon Forms, which is in English. Uh, for some reason, that stopped the last couple updates. I'm not quite sure why. But, uh, I mean, the games themselves are mostly in, in English or you know, occasionally Spanish as well. But, uh, anyway, you can come grab them off there. Uh, links are in the notes on the... Uh, news uh, suggestions. Uh, next up, Rick Adams. So this is kind of live happened at the fest. Um, they discovered a bit of a problem. I think if you had a, a letter that was in two spots in the solution and in the wrong spot, it was only reporting once or, or vice versa, something like that. It was basically some little glitch in the logic. And him and William Astor were talking about, they actually managed to fix it at the fest live because if you guys were by Rick Adams booth, he actually was doing some live coding. And uh, this is the released version now that fixes that bug. So I've got more updates to do to my Nitrous 9 version because I'm multiple versions behind at this point. But you can get that off of his GitHub if you want to take a take a look at the newest version with that bug fix on it. And uh, still a fun game. I mean, Wordle's hugely popular still. And I noticed that the Amigos, that's still one of their uh, forms on their Discord, is devoted to the actual full-blown Wordle, and it gets at least you know five to ten players a day on there so i mean it's it's popular in their their group of 
friends too. So there you go, grab it off of Rick's uh, GitHub. Next up, uh, Paul Thayer. Now, based on the uh, presentation he gave, and we played a little bit of it earlier going through Cocobon. So this here is a post he put on the Facebook that has links to download and learn more about some of the apps used in the development. So this is kind of like where you go get all the tools that he's using. So he's using GIMP for graphics and OpenOffice uses for various things and you know some of the editors for doing sprites, et cetera, binary file editors, et cetera, et cetera as well. Um, so basically, if you want to kind of like get his tool chain or just explore what his tool chain is compared to what you're using right now, there's a bunch of direct links to each of the things that he uses. I use a few of these myself. I've used GIMP. I use OpenOffice. I use HXD binary file editor as well. Um, the sprite editor from what he was showing on the presentation, because I did watch it after the fact, actually looks quite good. It shows you the animations, et cetera, too. So looks uh, pretty pretty good stuff there. And his presentation was, I think it's still the most popular one out of all the ones that was were done, at least the last time I'd looked. He even beat our basic nine one Ken, so we're going to have to, I don't know, snuff him out or something. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> And actually, I should mention, uh, as far as, you know, uh, which which seminars are getting viewed the most, uh, Ken, because you've actually posted our seminar on your page as well, we're kind of splitting it between the two pages. So I think actually, if you add yours and, and the main one together, I think we're still in the lead. Next up here, um, this is a game converted by Andrew Iyer. Andrew Iyer's did the posting of it, but basically it's an experimental conversion of the ancient game URR, which is an ancient civilization in, Euro in Europe, I think. It's like thousands and thousands of year old. Um, this is converted from Altair, basic. So this is going way back. I mean, the Altair was the, you know, one of the very first hobbies computers in 1974. So he's got the source code and everything here. You can actually download and take a look at his Coco conversion of it. Um, but that, that's like an ancient classic Next up, this this is an interesting one for me. I mean, this is a pretty cool game. It's 3D bust out. Like you've got a ball that actually goes off in the distance and you've got two-dimensional usage of your paddle. <clears throat> and it was written by Brit Monk in 1982. He sold it independently. And then later, I think um, Avalon Hill actually started selling it themselves. But uh, this is from a Japanese site called the Old Game Database of Japan, which I've never heard of before. I've never heard of them covering a Cocoa stuff before. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they actually did cover one. So I'm going to kind of try to keep an eye on this page and see if they're going to be doing more Coco or Dragon related gameplay videos. I might get some unique perspectives or, you know, maybe unique games that we don't usually see. This one here is more for Nick's ego than actual news. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but basically the, uh, the Amigos, they released on YouTube their uh, latest uh, Coco show video. They're actually recording a new one, actually recording shortly here live. And they cover Zero Hour, and they both really like the game. Um, bribes go a long way, as Nick knows. Hey! Uh, <laughs> but it's got their normal, you know, kind of off offbeat humor and stuff there uh, going through the game gameplay. And, and I think, Nick, you actually watched the live stream, and they were actually recording this, if I remember. Yeah, ago. yeah, and that was good. So I won't play it here because we fill Nick's ego enough as it is. But uh, it's a good oh, video. But if, but, you, yeah. if you want to, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and with that um <laughs> uh this is uh of course uh, tim linder and aj with sibling rivalry so this is actually a couple episodes old they actually covered uh one or two at least since this point and of course they cover multiple platforms but this one was specifically 
uh, cocoa related. So I wanted to mention this one. This is Paper Route uh, by Dave Dyes, uh, which is based on Paper Boy from the arcades. And I, you know, normally I would play a little clip of it. I'm not because we're going to try to breeze through this a bit fast here, but uh, the normal shenanigans ensue. And uh, in this case, I think, if I remember, AJ actually won, didn't she, Ken? Yes, she did. Like, like literally kicked Tim's ass. So was, was Absolutely. Quite, I don't think yeah. uh, Tim really, they weren't quite playing it right because they were, Tim kept trying to get the papers onto the um, doorsteps, not into the mailboxes. Yeah, which does work if you hit it just right. But I also don't yeah. think they knew the colors of the doors tells you which, which is a subscriber and which one's not. And they also so. weren't uh, shooting at any of the other things like the headstones and the people and stuff to get extra points. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's their typical fun show. We, we still yeah. have to get them out to a fest for a live rivalry. Maybe we can get Paul and Tim Thayer to play against them. So two sets of siblings <laughs> against each other. That'd be awesome. Uh, this one here uh, is a big thank you from Bruce Moore about the Coco MP3, and he kind of this is kind of shows it where it plugs actually in. Uh, so his video that we showed earlier, uh, basically he just had him holding it up in his hand, but you can see uh, like how small the actual little circuit is, and of course they make a little bit of a case and stuff for it, and then it just plugs into the cassette player port, and basically you just you know control it from there from the looks of it. So. Uh, it's fairly simple. I know, Nick, you had been working with uh, Jim Brain on something similar, except yours was actually allowed to merge the Coco output, the DAC output, and the MP3 player on the same, so you can play them all simultaneously, which this this current version here does not do. But Well, yeah, I'm just curious. I can't remember if uh, how the cassette audio, whether it, it does play. I must check it out. Yeah, I can't remember. I mean, you could use audio yeah, on, I can't but can remember. You play the other mode so same guy actually maybe you can maybe he solved that problem in a different way cool uh, yeah i don't know i can't remember because that'd be that that may be a good uh and then you can finally release your version of gunstar that actually used the uh infrared. well then it won't need the cartridge well my, my cartridge had an orchestra 90 stereo eight oh, bit and right, as well. right, that's right yeah right. yeah but um if i mean if that that never comes out yeah that might be a, a good solution yeah. yeah then we got that, that complimentary uh you know jim gary cranking out the stuff here now i think he was a little bit busy with other things because he actually didn't crank out as much over the last few weeks uh, as he normally does he still had a fair number not too many games he had some more stuff that was more um i don't know what you call them not, uh, we wouldn't call me to, we'll cover that when we get to the regular news. We'll just cover the game stuff in this, this area here. So first one here is Jay Checkers, which is uh, written by John White from the Your Computer Magazine from October of 1981, which he converted to run under the MC-10. This one, he actually says he's not sure if it's fully debugged, though it seems to be playing fine. Um, I didn't play it, you know, to find out, but basically it's a text-based version of a chess, or Checkers style game with the X's and O's being your different colored pieces. Next one here is a version of Snakes and Ladders that he did as well. This is from the book Load and Go with Your Dragon. So this is actually converting a dragon game back to the MC-10. Originally written by John Phipps and Tripper Toms, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Fast forward a bit here, but it actually is a little bit of, you know, colored bits there to make the presentation look a bit better than some of the really old text-only based ones. 
and it's based on the, the classic board game Snakes and Ladders. that finishes covering the game on news and i will get on to the regular i'm just gonna plow right into it here all right we'll skip the intro yeah we're already at coming up in what four hours now yeah three, <laughs> yeah I, I think we're good you know i think people know news is news <laughs> Okay, so these these are the videos I was alluding to earlier. So that Pac-Man demo that we did with the Coco DV, um, this is the videos that he had put out earlier before that was released. So this is going more into the actual DV uh, stuff itself and going through specific features of it in each video. They're fairly quick. I won't play them here because once again, we're trying to get this kind of cut down in size. But you can see the, the size of the board there. This particular one shows the 30 by 80 tile graphics mode. And then the second one, did some other tile graphics stuff and then also using some of the animation and scrolling effects because it's got actually got some hardware scrolling that's built into it too. So there's a lot of really cool games you can do in a Coco one or two with this extra extra bit of hardware, you know, along with the fact it's outputting to, to HDMI and, and VGA style stuff there, crystal clear. So I'm really looking forward to see what else can be come out of here too. So um the Pac-Man game sounds like it's almost done. He's got some ideas. Uh, I forgot to mention earlier on the Pac-Man one. At the very end of the video, kind of teases. He's got some other game ideas he wants to cover using the Coco DV as well. So Pac-Man is just the first of the ones he's planning. Now, he might do some of them more as concept demos as opposed to finishing the entire game, but maybe he'll release some of the code as far as he got and if somebody wants to finish the project off. But it does sound there's a few he wants to actually write, write to completion. So uh, we'll be seeing some more games from ACs, it looks like. He can correct me if I'm wrong. Chad, if he's there. He had me sold that this the uh, digital output. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Plus, it's impossible to get Coco VGAs right now due to the shortage of the chips that uh, Brendan's using. Uh, next, Sheldon McDonald did an update. Um, this is his new Sega Tandy editor environment. So he's um, expanded the uh, editing environment. He uses kind of an IDE style thing that actually will handle doing Sega Genesis stuff and Coco stuff. So he's got some different templates for each. And he goes through the entire development tool system that he's used built around this uh, definitely would not play this here that's a 12 and a half minute long video but uh pretty interesting stuff and it's uh the fact he's spent it for multiple platforms if you're interested in doing six to eight thousand style development for the genesis or six eight nine six nine development for the coco that he has one common id style that you can use on both i think we briefly covered this last week but basically glenside did their color computer um coco fest wrap up here with a lot of pictures, so they give you some stats here. Uh, my apologies to Jim too. I, I, I'll do this publicly because basically we got into a, a little bit of a spat about it. I was pressing him on the last show about attendance on Sunday because I know there were some people, new faces that I'd seen, so I knew there was more than 112 reports Saturday, but they hadn't had time to you know to amalgamate everything, and I kind of put him on the spot about that. So my apologies to Jim for that because that wasn't what I was tending. I just we were so close to getting what would have been a record Coco Fest attendance for, you know, in, in probably 20 years type thing or pretty close to it. Um, Cause I think of the record we had was what three, four years ago, we had 124, 126 or something like that. And we had 112 on the first day plus new faces on the second day. So we made it come, made it got really close to it or maybe even beaten it. And I thought that'd be something to crow about if we didn't know. 
So, and there's a ton of pictures. If you want to go, I won't click on all these here, but there's like pictures from seminars and booths and some of the you know, dinner festivities and stuff too. It's a really, really nice pictorial representation of the fest. And if you guys have never been to one, go click through all the pictures. You'll see a lot of smiling faces, a lot of fun being had. And definitely if you can all make it, you know, financially or time-wise, you definitely should make it out to the next one. As Grant mentioned uh, it, in, in the pre-show, we've got a block locked out at the end of April. It's not officially finalized and signed because there's a bit of a transition of the people running the place. Uh, there's some you know different staff doing it now, but um, it sounds like it's fairly for sure it'll be on that date. So you know, you've got a, almost a year's advance notice here. So book the time off and come on out. It's a blast. And speaking of Cocoa Fest, um, Steve's I'm a Coconut channel, channel here actually has all the seminars up, um, plus our wrap-up episode itself. So we've got all the different seminars, including, you know, the ones that we played little clips of earlier today, the one that Ken and I keep hyping because I'm a Nigerstein. I don't want to say that word. Um, and then all the other ones, too, like the Turbo 9 project, and, and John Linville did a, a few, and then there's... Um, the minimum bid auction there's the jam sessions which i don't know if you really want to hear or not maybe run them on mute that might be better uh no there's actually some people that actually know how to sing and play guitar and stuff uh, i wasn't one of them um but basically everything's up there and um you know some walk arounds of the show floor before the show officially opens you can kind of you know see and hear things a bit better when there's not a lot of crowd noise going on um there's lots of content i actually had to watch all the seminars here after the fact myself because i was too busy at the booth to really have time to go to seminars so I caught them all after some really good seminars in there. And this is uh, the fact that Ken actually created a separate copy of the uh, Basic 9 seminar uh, on his channel too, because some, some people just watch his channel, don't watch the main one. Uh, these people, I don't know why, but uh, I'm assuming it's probably from people that are not natively to the Coco and basically are just kind of viewing it from the, the opposite end of the tracks, I guess, where the other computers are. Now, was there any extra content you put in here? Or is it basically just the raw seminar, Ken? It's just the raw seminar. Okay. I just put in a little intro and then played it. Okay. And this is our impromptu one. So this is now not just on Twitch, which you know is ephemeral and will eventually disappear. This is actually saved to YouTube. And um, this is actually on the new channel uh, the Amigos have put up. So they've got one called the Amigos Stream Team. And I did want to mention this for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, now it's a permanent thing on YouTube as opposed to something that will disappear off Twitch in a little bit. This is the interview we did live in, in West Virginia. But the Amigos stream team is being set up so that people in their community can do live streams kind of under their umbrella of, of being able to play stuff. And they actually want it to be able to run in the background so you can actually just watch live whatever. And they might throw in some other videos that will play in the background. So it becomes almost a TV channel. Uh, but they've been inviting people from the Amiga community, the Spectrum community, and the Coco community. If anybody wants to do any live streams on there, and we have a cross-link between our two channels, so actually a little simulcast on both. Um, if you have a game you want to play on like a Monday evening or a four in the morning on a Friday night or something like that, like feel free. And uh, that'll be you know content for both channels, which will help both of us out here if we're getting new viewers or getting viewers in different countries that aren't on the same time zones as us. So I think it's a really good idea. And they've actually got a fair bit of stuff on there already now, uh, including now there. I think this is the first Coco content they have, if I remember correctly, unless they've done some of Aaron's live streams from Friday nights or something. So definitely go check that out if you haven't seen it yet. 
This one, I will play the whole thing because it's only 45 seconds long. So this is Henry Wrightfield's son, I believe, is the one who bought this. So it was uh, pre-packaged in an IBM tower case, a Coco 3, uh, with all the trimmings, like, you know, external keyboards and all kinds of stuff here. So I'll just play it so they can kind of see what's in there. One thing I mentioned here, he's running a sidekick because this is not an SDC-based system. This actually was created way before the SDC was even a glint in Darren Atkinson's eye. So this is running off a, a regular hard drive system. I'm not sure if it's a Birkin Burke or it might have been the ID interface from um, Cloud9. But basically, it's using sidekick to do the equivalent of the SDC Explorer to launch apps and stuff here. But this was a whole system with hard drive pre-installed. I think he's replaced it now with something else, but he's kept a copy of the hard drive image to see if there's any software that's not in the archive already from whoever they purchased the system from. But it's a complete system with like a PC keyboard hooked up to the Cocoa side of things. It's all put into a tower case. Uh, hard drives and floppy drives pre-installed. And, you know, it's, 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 it's what we did a lot in the 90s. There was a lot of repacks. And that's kind of gotten out of favor nowadays, I think. Uh, probably because, you know, power supplies and PCs have kind of kept getting redesigned. It's hard to fit stuff in there now. But I'm really interested to see what they find on the, on the original hard drive image that they've actually kept to see if there's anything new and exciting we haven't seen before. Now, this one I'm hoping, I, I don't know if anybody got a chance to talk to John or or Neil or anybody else from the Cocoa Crew. I, I, these look nice. It's a... Um, Coco Crew Challenge Coin. Now, what do they mean by Challenge Coin? I didn't get a chance to actually ask John. Um, so I don't know if these are meant to be collectibles. Is this like a prize in some of the programming contests that they sometimes sponsor? I think I do think they look really cool. It's a, it's a good idea. I'm just not sure what the purpose of it in this particular case is, or if it's just promotion or, or whatever. But I think they look really nice. Um, I'm quite impressed with it, especially the one with the three of them on there. Considering how small that is, it actually looks pretty good. Next up from uh, Ricky L. Quasum. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And this is a uh, tape alternative to the TOCD. Uh, it's an SD card for doing tape loading as opposed to uh, disk loading. Now, there were some comments here because we've got the Coco SDC and stuff for doing disk loading. They were asking why would you bother getting a tape solution for a Coco type thing. And basically, this one here will actually work with other microcomputers that are more tape-based. So this is actually a cross-platform solution. So it's not just for the Cocoa. This just happens to have that there is Cocoa drivers and stuff out there now for, for doing it. Um, but you can actually just take this exact same hardware and plug it into a Spectrum or something else and, and immediately load there. So if you are one of those collectors that has a lot of retro machines and some of those other retro machines are tape-based, this is actually a pretty nice solution to have because you can just move it between machines at will. And they actually have a for sale page for it here too with some uh, details here too. And then some screenshots of running some stuff off of it. Next up, uh, Roger Taylor, um, who is the one who sent the Gimme, uh, stripped down of the Gimme chip presentation for the fest. He wasn't able to make it. 
And unfortunately, it got damaged too. Um, but he still had the nice big picture of one of the layers they gave me when they did, gave it the acid bath. But he, a while ago, he'd started Cocoa TV on Roku, uh, which is basically just going to be repurposing already existing Cocoa videos and then putting them up so that you actually have a channel on Roku you can go to that just watch Cocoa related content from everybody. And he's actually going to be firing it back up again, but he's also going to be adding it to the Fire TV as well, which I believe is Amazon's, isn't it? Those of you that are more familiar with it. Um, so the channel will be coming back online and he's basically soliciting, you know, anybody's got any videos they want to share on that channel so that people can just, you know, hunt down Coco and find it later on type thing and uh, just go give them some links and uh, you can put your videos up onto rotation on the uh, Roku and the Fire TV. Next up, um, this is something I, I bored, Ken, bored Ken to sleep in the car with. Um, so there was a... Uh, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's a podcast that actually does kind of the history of computers. And one thing they decided to hit on to this time was going into OS 9, uh, kind of going into the history of it somewhat, and then how it kind of works under the hood type thing, and a little bit between level one and level two, but basically more concentrated level one at this point. Um, and Tony Capolini is the first one that I saw that mentioned this on Facebook, and I think I've mentioned the Cocoa List a little bit later too. So this is a podcast that goes with history of computers. I don't think they've covered much on the Cocoa before and Oros 9 for that matter. But it was kind of neat because he actually has a good knowledge of all the other machines throughout the time. So we can actually do kind of comparisons like what did this rank against thing else? What other machines did it appear on? And he you know talks briefly about gimmicks and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's an interesting one. What, what did you think of it, Ken? I mean, you're not quite as nerdy about this as I am. So you can give a, a normal person's perspective. Oh, it put me right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was interesting. It was, uh, yeah, it got a little technical at times, but I kind of understood, just having listened to you for the whole trip, I kind of understood what he was talking about. <laughs> yep, that does it every time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good way to wow an hour away in the car where you didn't have to listen to me, so. <laughs> it just gave your voice a rest for an hour. Yeah, now I was totally recharged, and then it was, the volume level went up. Yep. <laughs> And this is the, actually, they've made a YouTube video of it. Now, they don't have anything video-wise. It's basically just a splash screen for the podcast. But uh, if one of the people that doesn't get into podcasts and doesn't want to bother with podcast cast, uh, catching apps and stuff there, then you can actually just go listen to it on YouTube running in the background as well. Links in the uh, show notes in the uh, channel on Discord. Next up, we have uh, Color Computer programming uh he's done a couple of videos over the last couple of weeks and he's been getting more into the technical math stuff lately uh so he's got two that he released here so one is on covering negative exponents in math and a little quirk and floating point numbers on the screen from basic um i won't play the video because it's 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 fairly extensive and i'm sure you know floating point discussion is probably going to bore most people except maybe james jones um the quirk was, I think, on using, he was trying to line up things, and negative numbers reserve a space for the negative sign. So you always get that extra space at the beginning. He didn't quite, I don't think he quite understood how that worked, that basically it always reserves that so that you can line up columns of numbers, whether they're negative or not. So I, I left him a comment on that. And then the second one he did was on fractions or rational numbers, and he kind of goes through and you know, runs through some computer basic software that kind of goes through that. Once again, that's pretty heavy math stuff, so I'll, I'll kind of, I probably wouldn't have played the whole video anyway. 
Uh, next up here, I think this involves somebody who's on the panel, so I think I'll let them talk about it a little bit here. Oh, no, this is uh, Mikey's first. I guess this involves Rick's thing. So uh, Michael Furman, who unfortunately wasn't able to make it here, is working on some utilities to use uh, Rick's networking card. And uh, did, did he contact you about this, uh, Rick? He's got his ping and his Cocoa.io thing. Yeah, this is actually pretty cool. He's working his way to DriveWire by doing raw network stuff instead of leaning on the WizNet's built-in TCP stack. So he's he's going to do whatever he wants to do any way he wants to do it, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Have you had a chance to try these yourself? or I, I have not yet. I've been working on another thing, which segues into your... Uh, your uh, other story I'm coming Basic, up with. Basic Online <laughs> video ties into all of this so somewhere. Yeah. So here's here's some screenshots when he did. So the one on the, uh, well, they're both kind of doing the ping thing, but um, the one on the left here, you did the CCIO. So you can actually set up a text file with some of the parameters like your MAC address, et cetera, to configure the card to get on your network. And then you actually does some you know pings with this new ping utility to actually talk to other computers on the network from the COCO to register so the package there. So what he's actually done is not only, you know, initialize the card in C, but he's written his own ping command instead of leaning on the ping command that's canned into the chip. And that is, I guess, the first step towards writing all kinds of other things, because now you can do ping, you can do, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, I, I was it you or him was talking about possibly doing something like UDP or something like that, uh, you know, for streaming. Well, the... There is TCP and UDP built into the chip, so things like my basic web browser, I'm letting the chip do all the work. But for something like DriveWire, he needs a little more control over what's going on, so like he's doing everything. Okay. Which, which is, you know. And I think, <laughs> let me check here, because I think he left me a note. Yeah, he did. He says, I can't join the show today. Just make sure you read what I wrote, <laughs> which I probably didn't. But anyway, uh, he says, I'm not working on DriveWire yet. The tools are helping me learn how the card works. So he's kind of learning how your how your card works at the low level, like you said, bypassing some of the stuff that is normally done for you, but actually, you know, accessing the network raw. Hey, BSD sockets. So Apple boys unite, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got a pretty good description of it here on Facebook. And of course, if you want to go through the readme's and stuff he's got on his GitHub, you can download the source code for all this and take a look at it too. So next up for Rick here, uh, the progression of what, what do you call your web browser again? Dub, 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 the worst web wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> Not selling yourself, I have to say. Right, right. So this, this screenshot here, the first of three we're going to show, this is the one as you ran it at the fest. So you've got some like, you know, bolding of fonts. You've got some narrow fonts. I've actually the, changed my face to be that shot. <laughs> highlight me. Oh, you're going to show live? Yeah. Well, I've got I've got those shots live, but here's here's an extra one. So here is the thing in graph drive with the beautiful text menu at the bottom. Can you can you zoom them up there, Mark? Or? Highlight, highlight me somehow. This is just my face. It's not okay. There you go. Right, anyway, yeah, the, there's there's the thing I brought to the fest, except for fixing the long link bug because someone decided that 
they should have a link that's like what me get too wordy on something two, two and a half lines long oh and then it is a link so it's already underlined but then there's an underline tag in the middle of the underlined underline so and then it underlined so what what do i do there <laughs> but uh in any case here is the same thing in your basic 09 seminar about starting up a graph drive era wind in windows and uh, i jumped what did i do here so here is that here is the ugly page here is the page in 102 columns or 106 columns um like i say there are the obvious problems with i don't handle tags inside of tags yet uh here is an actual bookmark menu, proper menu that you can click on, not the ugly thing in the bottom. And then, you know, here is the promises of new tab and print and save page. But uh, I just so, have to say, I was I was flattered that you actually, first of all, attended our seminar and didn't fall asleep. And then, two, you actually took what we did in the seminar. Within a week and a half, you had a completely you know new look to your web browser. Oh, this is uh, cool stuff. This is what I was wanting to begin with. And uh, uh, here you go. I mean, I, I could hold up the man, the big manual with the quotes between every character and every window definition, and we could all be amazed at how difficult that was to do. I'm sure you've seen yep. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Somewhere in one of these things. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't have a camera. In, in any case, uh, yeah, this is great. I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Yeah, you found one bug I've got to fix. Uh, the fact that once you tell it to go wait for a mouse click, it really mates waits for a mouse click. You can't hit a key to get out of it. So Right. Even if you're waiting for a key press, you can't do it. <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you for the thing. And uh well, thank, thank you for implementing something off of our seminar that quickly. That usually does not happen, um, that you see somebody well, like using it that fast. It was practical, and uh, thanks to you both, I'm going to put a target on my next thing. Somehow. <laughs> Start sharing again here. Skip over since we just went through this. Okay, this is something we were alluding to earlier too. There's been a new release of VCC 2.1.0.6 beta. Uh, they do want some testing on this, uh, but they basically did a, a fair number of bug fixes. The ability to shut off the host mouse when it's in the VCC window, so you don't get double mice. You don't get the Windows mouse on top of the Cocoa mouse, which are offset a little bit, but both move roughly the same. It gets confusing for people. So that has been added. They've added support for the high-res joystick interface, the Tandy one, as well as the Cocomax one. So you can actually emulate that hardware now and start running those programs properly. Uh, several bug fixes in the key map editor. I don't know specifically what, what was done there, but I have heard complaints about some problems in there. Uh, fixed a bug that would error copies from VHD0 to VHD1 for the dual hard drives. And that's actually dual hard drive supports fairly new to VCC as well. Um, added a feature of the hard drive insert mode to create a brand new hard drive image automatically if the one you've specified is not found. So you can create them right from within VCC itself instead of having to run a separate utility, which is kind of cool. Uh, fixed a keyboard bug, which was affecting the play of Tetris. I don't remember exactly what that was, but I think there was some tricky programming at a PIA timings and stuff there that caused that. And an updated manual. 
So you can go download the actual source code because this is uh, open source now, as well as the actual emulator itself. So if you guys find bugs, you can go fix them yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but basically, they're, they're actually keeping it up. So this is um, Bill Pierce is kind of in charge of it. EJ e Jaquay, I'm hoping I pronounce his name, or Jaquay, is the one who's been actually doing the code. Now, the thing is, I know some people, including Nick, I mean, there's been some issues where some things have actually gotten further broken in VC as they do changes, as you know, Paul Thayer mentioned during his seminar as well. You fix something, you broke two other things. Um, they're they're running kind of raw here because the original source code has no comments. The original author is not available to ask questions. So they have to figure out the entire code for VCC themselves to figure out what things do and what what is dependent on what type thing. So they've been kind of trying to figure this out. And Bill Pierce actually made a post about it earlier, kind of mentioning it. It's kind of like, you know, disassembling a program and then trying to figure out how it works from that. And having done that many, many times in Nitrous 9 myself, that is a pain in the butt, especially on a larger program like VCC uh, would be, as opposed to like a little you know, 2K utility or something like that. Like it's it's a difficult prospect. In fact, if you go through GraphDrip, and I know some people complain about this, some of the comments we put in the GraphDrip back in the 90s is wrong because we didn't know what this code did. We were trying to figure it out from just raw assembly. We put in our guesses at the time. And then you're doing some other stuff and you're doing some other stuff. And all of a sudden you hit a routine that calls and you go, oh, I guess it's doing something different than I thought. So at that point in the code, when it's getting called, we would put it's, you know, calculating this in the subroutine. But we'd forget sometimes to go back and change the original comments or just didn't want to take the time to do it, frankly, um, especially if it was a fairly large subroutine to correct all the comments to reflect what you just discovered the routine is really doing. So they're hitting a lot of that kind of stuff, too. And it's I have to agree it's a bit of a pain in the butt, but I'm glad they're taking the time to do it. They are actually doing some improvements. I've used the double drive uh, version of VCC myself on the Windows side here, which is very helpful because now it matches MAME and having two hard drives at once, which I use a lot for my own development. So anyway, go grab it. The, the Just even the, the mouse thing is is a great thing. It was mentioned by a couple of people just earlier on the on the stream here that they would really wish it would you know, shut off that second mouse when you're inside the window. And voila, here you go. It's fixed. Yeah, that'd be good. Next up, we have Paul Shoemaker. So Paul put up these little pictures here of some, these are the actual original patent diagrams that were submitted to the patent office for designing of some of the cases for printers and computers that Tandy did. So it includes the Cocoa 1, the Model 3, uh, Model 2, um, you know, hard drive cases, all kinds of stuff here. And he's actually made some 8.5 by 11 inch prints and he actually put some here where he actually like framed them and put them on his wall and he did it on the old style paper to make it look more ancient even though that's looking a bit too ancient for the computer age uh but he was having problems he couldn't upload them to facebook and it wouldn't let him upload so uh, a guy actually volunteered to put it out post them himself uh elvero ricardo i think yeah which i should have Over i guess that's here. kind of funny patent drawings are patented <laughs> well no it's just facebook's algorithm it's like youtube the algorithms are getting stupider by the day but basically you can, you can download these you can download the pre-white you know pure white versions or the uh kind of older yellowed brownish look of uh, old paper type thing parchment paper thank you that's the word i was trying to remember um but basically they're set up for an eight and a half by 11 at a fairly decent res so if you wanted to make little frame prints and put them on your wall or something like paul did they, they actually look pretty good and you can download a zip file with all of them here. And I think they're still trying to hunt down some of the other ones, like if there's any at the patent office for Cocoa 2s and 3s, et cetera. 
Uh, next up, Elvero Ricardo posted this, which is a link to a group in Brazil. And Brazil speaks Spanish, is that right? I think. You have to the check earlier. But basically, this is a group for antique, retro, and vintage computers of all types, including Cocos. And we've seen some pictures from some of their shows that had a lot of Coco and some of the Coco clones, like the CP400, et cetera, there. So if you're interested in the Brazilian microcomputer marketplace, and of course, they were rather famous for how would you put it? Rampantly pirating hardware designs <laughs> because their laws were set up that it wasn't illegal there. Just go ahead and do it. So there's a, they had a lot of interesting ones. We've seen a lot of Coco clones, like different keyboards, but basically the interior hardware is exactly the same, et cetera, type thing. So if you're interested in the, in the Brazilian market in particular, this would be a good uh, group to join. Okay, next up, we got The Vent Nerd, which is not a channel I've heard of before. I don't know if any of you guys have. Uh, but he does a, a lot of variety of retro stuff as well. And he actually uh, received a Coco SDC from Retro Rewind as part of this catch-up episode. He's doing of a whole bunch of hardware he's ordered. He was showing SD cards for the TI-994A, and he's got a Model 100 that he received and a bunch of other stuff. So if you're into general retro, I won't play it here. I did have it you know, kind of clicked on here where he opens the SDC, but we know what SDC looks like in the order from Retro Rewind. Then we got some more of the uh, quote-unquote serious programs from Jim Gary for the MC-10. So the first one here is the Morse Tutor. And this is ported from the original Commodore PET version from the August 1982 Practical Computing Magazine. And I think he actually did a modification to it to fix the timing a little bit of the codes, but basically does the beeping and booping. You know, you're short and long to encode characters. Which could grow annoying after a while, but it's a good way if you want to, you know, I, you, you don't need Morse code for a ham radio license anymore, I don't believe, but you used to. So if you'd have to learn all this stuff, this might be a good tutorial for learning. it. And another one he did here is uh, the Knight's Tour. Now, there's a version of this on EOU that was written for the Coco 3 later, but basically it's, you know, trying to place Knights so that they could hit every part of the board. Because basically the night, if you go in the right sequence, you can literally hit all the squares on a chessboard. And he does it in semi-graphics here. And you can kind of see, I'll just play a little bit of the animation to kind of see where it's figuring out where to jump to. And the uh, numbers are the order sequence that it's doing the jumps. And then he did a conversion of Towers of Hanoi, as you can see here, by J. O'Malley. Uh, 1983 tab books originally on the c64 and this is when i remember creative computing i think published it in one of their creative computing basic games uh, books if i remember correctly and it's kind of a strategy thing right towers of hanoi was a big thing everybody did it in every kind of language yeah they actually threw a little bit of graphics in here low res but i mean you know give you a bit of a visual representation because i remember some of them were straight text And I'm trying to remember, Rick, the uh, the whole thing was to try to move the pieces across. You've got a pure pyramid shape or something? You can, you can never put a wider piece on a narrower piece, and you have to move everything across. So right. this is working it out. Programmatically, yeah. Rather than you have to solve it yourself as an actual game. Right. Which is okay by me, because that's what I would do. <laughs> Okay, this is from Alderson Retro Computing. Now, they've done a lot of video shorts. He's got a Coco Pi with a Pi 400. He's got a Coco 2 or 3, I can't remember. And he's got an MC10. 
And he's normally done these video shorts on YouTube, which are like little 15, 20 second clips. We've covered them a little before. This is the first longer form, but it's not even that long. It's four and a half minutes, but he's actually gotten and received the MCX 32 SD and shows you how to hook it up and then demonstrates it running and stuff. So you can load it and stuff. And I think he even played one of the games on it too. So if we had a shorter show, I'd play a bit of it, but uh, nice little how to on, on running the uh, MCX 32 SD. Now here's a series of three on the MC 10. So this is a YouTube channel called angels workstation and uh, a new channel to me once again. So he got an MC 10 that he bought at a thrift store in you know, not fully working or not sure if it was working order. And then he has a couple of follow-up parts to that where he's actually figuring out how to get the uh, video output going. And he actually hacks together a cable to get it hooked up. Now, the one thing that happens here, he got it working, but it's a little bit wobbly, but he's also only getting black and white. And that's what I got so far. So I won't play the whole video here, but if, if any of you with more experience with the MC-10, because I actually don't own one, can maybe hit up his channel watch one of his last two videos he did on hooking up where he's getting the black and white image. And if you have any suggestions for him on how to get the color back, I don't know if it's something with his cable or maybe the TV that he's trying to hook it up to or, or what exactly is causing, but for some of you hardware gurus, maybe give him some pointers there. Might be a PAL M uh, MC10. Um, judging by his accent and stuff, I don't think so, but that's a possibility. Or the I, other way around. Maybe he's got I, a... I, I kind of skimmed the video because I was busy looking up other stories at the same oh, time, so I didn't fully, you know, divest as much of my attention as I probably should have. What are you saying, throat? <laughs> and then on the Dragon side of things, we got a little bit here. So Richard Harding has announced uh, an update for the Dragon Meet 2022. Now, they've just had the 40th anniversary special for various computers in, in, in England and the UK. I shouldn't say England because the Dragon's from Wales, of course. Uh, but basically, like the Spectrum and the C64 and the Dragon 32 all got released in, the, in uh, 1982. So it's a 40th anniversary of all those machines. So they had it kindly hosted, as he mentions here, for the Center of Computing History in Cambridge. So they're actually looking at doing a Dragon-only one to kind of celebrate this, too. They're planning on late September, October. So it's out of the way of summer holidays but you're not having to drive through snow like they did last year when they did it in November for Dragon Meetup. And they were just kind of ironing out the details. So keep posted if you're in the Dragon 3264 group on Facebook. Uh, once they get the official time booked, um, you'll be able to get the details there. It was a pretty fun show from looking last year. They brought the Dragon Beta. I know they've been working on getting the Dragon Beta fully running, like the Dragon Professional stuff, the dual CPU ones and stuff here. So I'm hoping there'll be more of that ready to show. I think we showed a video showing some of the extensions they did to the graphic system in Base 9 back then, um, you know, for the planned Dragon before Dragon kind of went under. Um, so I'm looking forward to see how much they get working by the time this show happens here in the fall. And maybe we'll have some new stuff to look at. It would be pretty cool because I was pretty impressed with some of the stuff they were doing there. And this, uh, Richard Harding says, another factory visit can't get enough of the place. So this is actually the original Dragon Data building in Wales, and that's what it looks like now. It's actually being used. It's obviously not manufacturing dragons anymore. And before anybody asks, I can't zoom this. That's literally the size of the photo we put up. If I click it, it comes up the same size. And if I zoom it up, it just gets pixelated and blurry. So someday when I make it across for one of these Dragon meetups, I'm going to make the pilgrimage out there. Because I looked at the size of England and, and the UK here, and I mean, you know, Ken and I have driven, you know, 7,000, 10,000 kilometer, you know, round trips to go to Cocoa Fest. And the distances there, I mean, you could do that almost walking, it feels like. 
go between Cambridge and there. So when I do get out there, I will go see the original dragon plant myself. And there, I powered it through. I, that's, that catches up the news. Everybody wake up. <laughs> Already time to get up? <laughs> Just call me Night All. That's, uh... Ooh, our panel's gotten a lot smaller. <laughs> oh, it's getting late. So I guess the question is, we can do updates and acquisitions. Since there's not too many people here, we could probably breeze through it pretty quick. Um, I don't know if we need anything else to do on the show. I don't think so. Um, I don't have any updates and acquisitions. Good mind. Well, Ken does. I have a little bit, but I can do it next week. Well, if you're the only one, we might as well get it done now. Then we can have a nice short show next week. Okay, well, <laughs> I will do my uh, updates and acquisitions right now. So on the way home from Coco Fest, I bought a bunch of stuff at Coco Fest, but then I stopped another place and bought a bunch of stuff. And I bought big huge stack of manuals hmm. but they also came with eh, cartridges cartridges <laughs> oh wow oh. that's a pretty good haul yep did, and is that coco three that and from? coco one and two it looks like yeah there's everything in here there's everything from personal finance football megabug all that stuff is that Scripts from it? a uh, a user or a shop uh a user Guy that uh, right. contacted me through my uh, YouTube channel said he'd be willing to sell me a few things really cheap if I was uh, wanted, and I said, "Yeah." So now my thing is, I want to see. Do, do you, does anybody know if anybody has reproductions of the old silver boxes that I could? Oh yeah, yes, yeah, somebody does. I've seen them. Tim Linder. I've seen them somewhere. Okay. Tim Linder. Yep. Okay, I'll have to get a hold of him. And the other thing, I'll just quickly share my screen here. Um, I went out, uh, another thing that I bought off that guy was I bought a uh, panel cover for a CM5 monitor. And he threw in uh, the monitor, a Tandy 1000 TL and keyboard. So, <laughs> cool. nice throw so you buy the door, he throws in the computer. Yep. <laughs> well, the okay. door is the most... Uh, is the rarest thing on those things, isn't it? <laughs> it might be the same as a CM8 one. Is that the same? It's a, it's a smaller version of the CM8. Ah, so it won't, yeah. So the CM5 is an RGB monitor. It's just slightly smaller than the CM8. Yeah, I, th I, thought, I thought they were in the same case. I, thought. I think the case itself is just a little bit smaller. Yeah. So the door doesn't quite fit? Really? So CMA oh, no, the door fits just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so that's just a couple of things I picked up that, uh, yeah. That's okay, all I have to cool. say. Okay. I, I will make one quick mention. The Amigos are recording all their, their monthly shows right now. Um, actually, I've been going for a bit. I just asked a question. I haven't heard an answer back yet to see if they recorded the Coco show already or if it's still They have. Upcoming. They've they already have. recorded it, yeah. Ah, darn. Missed it then. So I'll have to watch it later on the Twitch stream. Most importantly, um, uh, Nick, you missed it. 
another oh, another uh, one of your games. Oh. They were doing Rally Axe today. Oh, were they? Okay, I did yeah. miss it, yeah. I've been keeping an eye on it on my other monitor over here, yeah. so. What'd they say about it? I don't know. I didn't have, this, didn't have the volume on. <laughs> Nick, how much did you pay for bribes? I've done several of your games in a row. I know. <laughs> Maybe I put an extra zero on the check. I didn't realize <laughs> it. might have by accident. <laughs> the dire, yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you go on their Twitch uh, channel, you sh you'll be able to watch it later on. It'll be part of the whole four-hour stream or whatever it is of, of doing everything in a row. There's just find the Coco Show on it, and later it'll okay. be on YouTube. A few, few, few weeks. Ready for the outro then? I think so. I think Sounds we're ready good. to wrap this up. Where is it? This concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ewan, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! On, do it really yes really
Just really. All right. Um, I guess we're ready to push the button. Any last thoughts? Nope. Just see you next week. Okay.